Welcome to episode 47 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. We got a, a great podcast on the docket today. Brought back my good friend, Connor Larson. Connor, welcome back to the podcast for our weekly pod here, buddy. Hey, what's going on, Benny? What up? We have a lot on the docket today. We wanted to try to spread that. We wanted to sprinkle some of our knowledge and our commentary around some of our, our, our interests and our what's going on in our country right now. So we usually talk about just football most of the time, um, sprinkling a couple of things here and there. Today, we're going we're gonna to mix in a few topics because there's a lot going on around the, um, just sports, around America, just a lot to cover. So let's, let's kick it off with, I mean, I know a lot of us um, on a um, serious sense, we uh, are really dealing with another boom of, of COVID-19 in the U.S. And it's, um, it's alarming for a lot of people right now. Um, the cross between flu season and COVID season was something that we all kind of expected to cause us some, some headache and some, I don't know, some difficulty in our, in our trying to discern which is flu, which is COVID. And um, the cold weather isn't helping with the viruses. And there's just a lot to worry about with this, with COVID. And so, Connor, you, you brought up some some statistics. Wanted to see if you could uh, just share some of the, the facts about what's going on with, with COVID-19 around America right now. Yeah, I think you bring up some great complications. You know, one thing we're worried about, and this was the initial fear in the beginning, is just hospital overcrowding. So now that we're heading into, like you mentioned, flu season, there's going to be multiple different strains and different things going around. And there's going to be a lot of people who need care. And that's why we need to be very um, mindful of the pandemic that's still occurring, um, even though we're stretching on six, seven, eight months at this point, um, depending on where you live. Um, but currently, right now, there's over 53 million cases worldwide that have been confirmed and over 1.3 million deaths. Um, so obviously we're talking very large numbers. And so it, it's something that's very concerning and we need to make sure we're monitoring here in the U.S. Um, and currently we're at 10.8 million cases. And this is two days ago, we had our highest daily total of 150,000 new cases in a single day in the U.S., which means this thing is spreading faster than it has all year as well. Um, and part of this is, I think, an American fatigue. And additionally, it, it it's unfortunately slightly political, too, because we know we had just had an election that hasn't been called yet. Um, but we want to remind people that health is just caring about your neighbors. It's caring about your family members. It's caring about yourself and wearing a mask, respecting social distancing guidelines. And if we all do this as a country and we unite together against COVID-19, we can beat it. And the more we are vigilant about this, the quicker we can go back to our normal lives, which we all want for sure. Um, so just a reminder that, you know, let's try and stay safe. This pandemic is still going on out there and it's only going to get worse if we're not mindful yeah well said I, I i like i like your points um just the really the message is wear a mask be careful around the holidays try not to spread it to your loved ones and your friends so best uh best health for everybody i mean best wishes for everybody you know what was crazy is like this vaccine that's coming out like trump was you see trump was threatening like new york like oh we're not going to send it to new york because uh uh governor como doesn't know what to do with the vaccine or whatever and like he's he's like threatening to these states that just like don't support him basically that like they don't he's not going to give him a vaccine it's like dude that's just so inhumane yeah i mean that's a little bit ridiculous we know that <laughs> the government has access to emergency vaccines you know during a pandemic things like that but additionally this is being developed by 
um, a company that's not governmentally operated, right? This is being developed by Pfizer and another 200 companies. So Donald Trump's not going to be able to stop certain states from getting the vaccine, first of all. Second of all, it's ridiculous for a sitting president to threaten the lives of citizens of the of United state, States. One of the biggest states in like in our country. Like New York's yeah. like, what, fourth or fifth biggest state in our country? Like, and then pop. Population wise per capita, it's got to be like what number one. So uh, yeah, we care about the health of <laughs> Americans, and that's what we need to focus on. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to some more exciting stuff because COVID is depressing nowadays. We just we just want everybody to stay healthy out there. That's the like point. Like you mentioned, there is so. a vaccine. It's coming, but it's still a few weeks away before, or a few months away before it's going to be widely distributed as well. So while there's reason for optimism, you need to make sure you're still staying safe before you get any vaccine. And and also remembering that a vaccine is not going to be 100% effective. So it, it's not a, a cure to the virus. It, it's going to be a treatment. Um, and it's one way that we're going to slow the spread down, but we also need to do it ourselves by maintaining social distancing, washing our hands and wearing a mask well said all right let's talk about some other stuff so we got this last week we had um some awards for major league baseball i mean the so <laughs> let me tell you this so the award season for baseball is just so poorly managed by the sport like the heat of the united states election was going on like the like the race to 270 was in the heat of it like like uh, what do you call it? Super Tuesday was going on and they released like the awards for, I think, um, gold and gold gloves. And then the next day on Wednesday, when it was still chaotic, I think they did uh, silver sluggers. And then this week they did this last week, they did um, Cy Young and MVP. And so let's talk about some of these, these uh, Cy Young and MVP winners. Cause I wanted to acknowledge um, some of these guys that are, this is their first time getting some acknowledgement in, in these awards. And, uh, it was fun to see a lot of these players play this season. I don't know how much you, you watched of Freddie Freeman and the Braves and Jose Abreu and the White Sox, but both players, man, very exciting seasons this year. What'd you, what'd you think of their MVP years? Yeah. Freddie Freeman is a guy who's been in the league since 2010. I think, you know, he's been a very steady player, but he's never really gotten any huge awards. He's kind of a, a name that slides under the radar being on, on Atlanta too. So this team having a great year, he, he batted 341 with 13 homers. And when you have a shortened season, what did they do? 60 games. You consider those numbers. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, all right, let me pat myself on the back a little bit here. Cause I actually picked Freddie Freeman to be the MVP, but in 2019, not 2011. I mean, 2020. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was early one year. Um, for for Freddie Freeman because I mean that guy by my logic here and it still made sense in 2020 was look the Braves are one of the better teams in the sport right now and they they again gave the Dodgers a good run for their money this this year in the uh, the postseason but the that was a great series by the way but um, the Braves year in and year out have been competitive and Freddie Freeman has been the heart and soul and like the constant like just he's always been the constant guy on that team. Like he's not, he's super consistent, comes in and plays almost every game, usually every year, doesn't get hurt very often. She's always a solid professional hitter. Doesn't strike out a lot. Super, super short and quick swing. Like for, there's not, there's not much to dislike about Freddie Freeman. Um, really, I'm really glad that he got, he got his award at age 32 because he's starting to get to the backside of his prime. I mean, I think he's a free agent this year and he's likely to go back to the Braves that's what everybody's kind of assuming, but should he become a free agent, 
he, it's an interesting case with him because it reminds me a little bit of Albert Pujols with the Angels in, in 2011, I think, 2012, 2012, I think. And Pujols was the same age, 32 years old, coming off of basically a decade of excellence, which is basically what Freeman's done. And um, Freeman is, is looking at a much more difficult free agent market than Pujols was. And so I think Freeman's best... I mean, Freeman loves Atlanta. He lives there. That's where his family is. Is he's he was drafted there. He's played there only there. Um, I, I'm assuming he's going to go back there. But the point is, like, it, it's it stinks that a guy like this couldn't, you know, hit the open market and and have teams bidding after him in, in a normal off season where teams have money to spend. Because I mean, I don't think there's going to be much off season spending in general um, across the board just because of the pandemic and everything, but there will be obviously free agent signings and some guys will get paid a decent amount of money and Freeman could have been one of them. Um, but we'll see what happens. Who else do we got going down the list, Ben? Is there any specific guys you think got snubbed or, you know, some guys you really liked and thought they deserved the, the awards they got in terms of, you know, Cy Young, rookie of the year, any, any of the ones that came out the, the past week? Well, I thought uh, these were the guys that I voted for the for the awards after this after the fact. I thought that Bieber was obviously the Cy Young of, on the season for the AL. Man, he had an incredible year. Um, really, just kept the ball rolling from last season. He started in the All Star game last year um, at home in, in in Cleveland for his for his hometown team, and the um, the Indians were again another solid team. And, and Bieber is incredible what he was able to do. He he actually was fourth in the MVP voting and um, he was dominant all season long. I don't think he had like one bad start. So um, in a short season, I was pretty impressive. And then Bauer, it, Bauer is a he's great a example. starting to get to know and not just well, for baseball he's, reasons. Yeah. Too. He's, he actually has the most um, social media interaction. He's more, he gets more social media interactions than major league baseball on their, on their personal accounts. And Bauer is becoming like the face of the sport. I mean, whether people like it or not, because he's so interactive on online and that's kind of like the, what the modern era is nowadays. Um, but Bauer has just been such a, such a shining example of what hard work does for, for you in baseball, because Bauer not physically imposing, I think he's maybe like less than six feet, maybe six feet, maybe a, a whopping 180, 180 pounds or so. And he, has grown a lot since coming into the year. I mean, into this, into the league, into major league baseball, um, starting with the Indians and he, he always, always good with the Indians, but he, he was inconsistent and he, he basically went to driveline baseball who I, I had John Sauteropoulos on the podcast worker, uh, an employee, a uh, hitting instructor at driveline baseball. Trevor Bauer is the face of that company, basically. And he goes to driveline baseball and he works on his mechanics, ups his spin rate on his pitches, starts to up his velocity, gets up to 100 miles per hour almost at, at points. Like the guy is the shining example of what hard work can do for you in baseball. And the, literally every, every account of the, of the guy is just, he's the hardest worker in the room. He'll put in more hours than you. I don't care what you say. Like Bauer's just a, a gym rat and he's a baseball rat. And it's really cool to see um, guys like this win the award um, just because they're not physically imposing and they're not physically someone that you would think would dominate in professional sports. And that's why I love baseball because you got a guy like some normal looking dude that you walk. If you don't know baseball, if you don't know any better, you could walk by Trevor Bauer on the street and not think that anything, any, anything different about that guy. He looks like a normal dude. 
but he throws 100 miles an hour almost. And he got a wicked curveball and a changeup. Like, let me also say, he also adds P, he added a changeup this year um, to, his, to his arsenal. At driveline baseball, he worked on a changeup um, in the offseason. So that also helped him out with his effectiveness. He also was one of the best players at um, training during the pandemic, during the, the hiatus for baseball. He was throwing like, did you see his videos throwing uh, live BP in the desert? Like in, in literally not a baseball field, it was a desert. He was throwing like live BP to, to guys working on his arm. And I don't know. I just, I, I really liked the season. I, I liked what, what, what we were able to see. Uh, it was an exciting year and we saw some great baseball. And so I think these four guys that we talked about, Abreu, Freeman, Bauer, and Bieber all really just had great seasons. I'm glad we were we were able to acknowledge it. So, also interesting, first time we've had first baseman um, co MVP. So AL and, and AL and AL and NL MVPs for first baseman. First time since I believe Ryan Howard and Justin Morneau back in 2000 mid 2000s. I think maybe like 2005 or so. Um, you know, now that you, you bring up the, the early 2000s, when you're talking about Trevor Bauer, what, what it reminded me of was Tim Lincecum, just a guy who's not imposing physically, a guy who looks like a normal guy off the street, but he constantly was working on his stuff in the offseason and he was able to overcome those barriers. Tim Lincecum was five foot nine and he was also himself a Cy Young Award winner. So just like you said, baseball mm-hmm. is a sport where if you work on your craft, you don't have to be the most physically imposing player as long as you really can focus and carve out a niche for yourself um yeah and just to go over the stats of these guys since we since i have it up freddie freeman in 2020 and and remember this is a shortened season 2.9 war wins above replacement uh 13 home runs batted 341 with 53 ribbies obp of 462 slugging of 640 and ops of 186. So fantastic season by him. Jose Abreu, 2.8 war. He had 19 home runs. So he's hitting a home run one out of every three group, three games. Basically, you know, if you, basically if you pull multiply, that out for a full season, it's incredible. Yeah. Basically you know, multiply these numbers by 2.7 to basically get to your 162 game averages. So Ben, if I, if I'm doing what, 19. That's a, that's about 50 home 7. runs. 51, 51.3 home runs. So that's an yeah. Incredible season. Yeah. 60 yeah. ribbies and then 370 OVP slugging 617. Bauer and Shane Bieber 17 and 16 in the ERA respectively. Um, when you get to that sub two ERA area, that's just incredible for a season. It reminds me of the old years of like Felix Hernandez where he was constantly sub two. Um, so Bieber amazingly was eight and one in a 60 game season, contributing that many of your team's wins as a, as a starting pitcher in a rotation of four or five guys. That's pretty fantastic. And yeah. then you have Trevor Bauer who was five and four, but you know, you, you, you're limited to your situation. So you can't blame blame him for what the offense can't do um and then the rookie of the year was devin williams so he's a oh i love devin williams i didn't even talk about him i love three era just incredible guy was just lights out and then we had kyle lewis on the mariners 11 home runs on the year batting Mm -hmm. average 260 rbis 28 five stolen bases obp of 364 slugging of 437 so for a couple of rookies to come in here and have that impact both have a win uh, a war of over one pretty great seasons from them too. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love the rookie class this year. Really great rookies, young players coming into the sport. Does the sports in good hands? Um, Devin Williams, just an incredible relief pitcher. I think he was the best relief pitcher in the season. Honestly, um, Nick Anderson for the Rays might've had a better regular season, but it was close. I mean, Nick, Devin Williams, man, that changeup he has is it's Pedro Martinez esque. I mean, that's that, that thing is nasty. It moves, it moves left to right, fades, fades from a right hander. It's like it's like a screwball almost. And he throw, he also throws high nineties. So I mean, that guy's like unhittable. Um, and then Kyle Lewis with the Mariners, he's a great player too. I mean, some really great rookies. I really like the NL the NL rookie race. I mean, you got Alex Bohm. I mean, Alec Bohm for the Phillies, Jake Cronenworth for the Padres. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some guys, but yeah, there's, there were some really great young players this season. So it was fun to watch games in good hands. Your guy, Mike Trout, I think only came in fifth. Came for the, fifth. Uh, That's MVP the lowest. Voting. <laughs> That's the lowest he's ever came fifth, but he you know, he did win the Fox Fox sports, AL MVP fan voting. <laughs> well, there you go. He can just retire now, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, for manager of the year, uh, we had Don Mattingly on the Marlins and then AL manager of the year was Kevin cash on the Rays. How about I like Kevin this. Cash? Fantastic season to bring the Rays as far as they did. And when you consider the amount of money they were spending on their starting roster compared to other teams, just a, a fantastic, um, fantastic season by the manager there. Yeah, um, the Rays, the Rays as an organization place a lot of importance on the head coach because they don't spend a lot of money. So they get they they find the bargains and, and they get the most out of their players and it takes a really great head coach and a really great leader to be able to do that. And so I was glad that Kevin Cash got his acknowledgement because the Rays did have a great season. To find a guy like, uh, uh, help me with his name, Arena. Rosa Reina. Yeah. There you go. Randy. Uh, now that we talked about uh, the general managers of the year, maybe that is a, a natural transition for us into a couple general manager signings coming to the season. Do you Those wanna... are the managers. Those are the managers. But look, the, the, you're, you're right. We, we have some new GM signings. So Don Manley with the Marlins. So the Marlins actually went and went, signed a new GM this week. And as, uh, as you were hinting at, the Marlins signed – uh, the first female GM in, I believe, professional sports history in any professional sport. I think it's the first female GM ever in the world. Maybe, maybe I think it's in the in the U.S. for sure. Um, Kim Ang, it, it's it's pronounced Ang. I had to look it up. Connor and I were laughing about it. We we did not want to mispronounce this this lady's name because she's so important to our our, our sports history and our, really our country's history. Um, really, just fantastic to see. We saw the first vice president, uh, female black vice president, and now we have the first female Asian American general manager in professional sports. So really, just some great strides we're taking as a as a society in 2020. And Kim Ang. You could say all you want. People are love love to bring out all this stuff about how she's the first female to to ever um, be a general manager. But man, this lady is more than qualified. More than qualified. She's been around the sport for a while. She I mean she started out with the White Sox in 1990. She was there for six years in the White Sox front office. Then she worked in the American League's office in 97. And then she was a Yan uh, Yankees assistant GM in 98, the Dodgers VP and assistant GM from 2002 to 2011. And then she was a senior vice president of baseball ops for Major League Baseball from 2011 to 2020. So she has been a very um, involved person in the sport since dating back two decades ago, three decades ago. So she's, she's been around the block. So she's earned her spot here and um, really just what a, an accomplishment for her. Um, and from all accounts I've heard um, that she's just a super 
great professional. Like um, Jim Bowden used to be the GM for the Atlanta Braves. He was talking about a trade that he did with the Dodgers when she was there. And he just had nothing but rave reviews about her because she wasn't even the GM. She was the assistant GM and she negotiated the whole trade with him. And I forget what the trade was specifically. It was a couple journeyman players, nothing too significant, but she, he was depicting just basically, basically what happened with her. And uh, he was, Jim Bowden was just saying that, Man, she's I knew right then and there, like in the early, in the early to mid 2000s, that she was going to be a GM someday. And sure enough, 2020 came around and the Marlins decided to hire Kim Ang. And really cool to see for the sport. And uh, really, it's really great for the sport of baseball that this is happening. Yeah, totally agree. It's, it's wonderful to see more barriers bring, being broken down. You know, you mentioned Kamala being a uh, female vice president. Now we have a, a female GM in baseball and, you know, what we love to see is people recognize for their work, not for any physical characteristics or any stereotypes. Um, and so just the fact that she has an awesome resume, she was hired for the job because of that. That's what we love to see. And uh, I'm really excited to watch the Marlins play some baseball next year. Yeah. Marlins. What a, what a crazy uh, little story they got going on. The great team. I mean, not, I mean, it's maybe not great team, but great solid team, you know, Miami's they had way back, you know, yeah. the heat were just in the championship. The Marlins had a great season. We have a cool GM hiring, you know, and this is going to be fun. I know. Crazy to think. I mean, the Marlins, Marlins are either like really good or really bad and it's usually bad, but I mean, they, they have these moments that they're good. So, I mean, they have, they have two world series more than a lot of teams. So, um, all right. And then, and then other GM signings uh, across the sport. I wanted to just mention my angels. They hired Perry Manasian and uh, from all, from all accounts, the angels did a lot of due diligence with this hiring and um, they, they think they got the right guy. So I don't, I don't know too much about him. Uh, I, I do know he comes from the Braves. He was on a, a couple of different organizations, well-respected around the sport, really well known for his uh, hybrid kind of a uh, skill set with being able to scout and use the old, old school, traditional scouting methods of the eye tests and, and seeing um, what you're believing, what your eyes tell you, but also integrating the modern analytics of the sport and, and listening to front offices and implementing the modern game. And um, really just seems, seems like the angels found a good guy with mid Asian. And so hopefully he, he could bring some pitching to the angels and, and help them get Mike Trout into the playoffs because that's only going to help major league baseball. Connor, we talked about um, a good amount of baseball before we get into some football. want to touch a little bit about basketball because I think we're in store for a, a wild basketball off season and we're starting to get some sprinkles of some news coming in this last week. We, we're seeing a lot of stuff coming out of Houston for the Houston Rockets. And it's, it's felt like deja vu to be honest, when this first was going on, I mean, was this not what exactly what happened last year with Chris Paul in Houston? I mean, Russell Westbrook, his first year in Houston and he goes into uh, his first off season. And he's like, ah, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want to be here. I don't want to play with James Harden. And uh, it sounds like either Harden and or Westbrook is out of Houston um, before the start of the season. And um, I heard on the Bill Simmons podcast that he thinks that it might've been that Houston was playing on trading Harden anyways. And, and Westbrook beat them to the punch and said, no, 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 no. I don't want to play here without James Harden. I want out of here. And so I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really see a lot of great fits for these guys around the league because they get paid so much and they have really specific, unique types of, of game styles. And it, it's difficult to just plug and play 
Westbrook and Harden into any lineup and expect them to have some success without a system being built around their skill sets. Yeah. I mean, what you think of that? It was helpful that Houston had Daryl Morey there and was able to scheme up and some of these things. And, you know, they had a really very good coaching core with a lot of offensive minds in Houston. So once you start kind of clearing that out and you look at the roster that they have set up, it's really not a traditional roster by any sense of the means. And, and you're right. Russ is a, a ball heavy player and so is Harden, and, and it's not easy to slot these guys on, on a team. They, they both love just doubling down. And I think Russ wants to go somewhere where he can play Russ ball and take a ton of bad shots and put up huge stats and just go you know, for the triple, triple double again, you know, every yeah. night. It's entertaining. It's entertaining when he does, you know, it's not, it's not, he's going to win 35 games, but he's going to have fun doing it. You know, so yeah, I mean, you can go on ESPN right now and play with their trade tool and see which type of stuff works out in terms of the money with other teams and you know, <laughs> have fun and trade Harden to the Bucks and you know, imagine a team with Ante Tacumpo and Harden with the ball, you know, that could be fun. But realistically, I, I don't know where these guys land. Yeah, they're huge contracts and they're ball dominant players. I, I heard Simmons talking about Westbrook going to Detroit, and I was the only one that I thought. Mm, intriguing. I was like, I did. You could have given me that Westbrook, that Westbrook gift. Go figure. Was like, he's like, he like, he's like. They asked him in the interview, and he's like, oh, and he's it, yeah. That was my thought. That was my thought to Westbrook to the Detroit because I thought if you pair up Westbrook with Blake Griffin, that's at least fun. That's at least fun to watch, and I'll watch it. You know, did any West Russ kind of actually fits the Detroit kind of grit and grime kind of feel. You know, so, player for sure. Yeah, yeah. So and please, please, if. If by like the infinitesimal chance that uh, Lawrence or Lawrence Frank or uh, Balmer listen to this podcast, like the the infinitesimal percentage point of that being the case, like Clippers do not trade for either James Harden or Russell Westbrook. Please, please do not do that trade. The only one that somewhat seems somewhat intriguing is James Harden to maybe like Paul George for James Harden, but like that's just too much. Like that's too much to shake. Like. I don't know that Harden is uh, – I just don't want to root for the guy. I don't think he ha- plays a successful brand of basketball. But, I mean, he's one of the fourth – he's one of the four best players in of the decade. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with Houston. It's just kind of a bad look for them that they, they, they can't figure out a roster that works around James Harden. I don't know that there is one. Yeah. A couple of the guys I, I heard about might move. And of course the guy who's on the Rockets last year is Chris Paul. Uh, a lot of teams would love to have a veteran point guard. He is a guy that can slot into almost any lineup and be an impact mm-hmm. player right away, but he's got a huge contract and he's what 37, 38 years old. 37. Now. So yeah. You wonder how many years he has left. Dude, does a team want to take a chance on that and, and kind of, you're pushing your chips all in if you're taking a shot on Chris Paul. Um, and then another guy is DeMar DeRozan. I heard oh, I that saw the that. Lakers might be interested in him, and that, and that could be interesting, adding another score there, but not necessarily a three-point shooter. So I'm not sure if he's a great fit on the Lakers roster that that could use some more shooters around LeBron. Um, I yeah, know, what do you point. think, Ben, of those couple of guys? No, I agree with you 100% on both those takes. Um, Chris Paul, it'd be fun to see him go somewhere where he can compete for another title. Um, I don't think he's, they're going to be able to compete in, in OKC anytime soon. So I hope Chris Paul kind of finds a spot where he can at least make a playoff run and do something, do some damage in the playoffs. Um, for DeMar DeRozan, I, I agree with you 100% there. I don't think he should be going to – I don't think Los Angeles should be acquiring a guy like DeMar DeRozan, especially – the rumor was uh, Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green. 
for for DeMar DeRozan. I'm like, those are your two, your your third and fourth basically best scorers on your team, two of your best sh- three point shooters on your team, and two of your better defenders on your team. And DeMar DeRozan doesn't shoot threes and doesn't play defense. And so, I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't a younger fit. player. So I I don't know if I want to give up young talent if I'm a Lakers mm-hmm. organization that maybe in a couple of years needs to rebuild and, and maybe looks to have Kuzma as one of those core players um, with Davis once LeBron faces out of the league. I agree. And then we also got in the NBA, we got the NBA draft coming up in four days. We are supporting us on Saturday morning, uh, November 14th. I believe the draft's on the 18th and we had the NBA draft um, coming up. And I just wanted to mention this really quick because I put a little bit of money on it. I didn't tell you this yet. So I put, Ooh. I have Anthony Edwards as the first pick overall. I think Anthony Edwards is the best player in this draft. I, I, from what I've seen, Georgia? out of Georgia, he's really good combo guard, really physical. Kind of reminds me of honestly like James Harden and maybe Victor Oladipo. And um, I think he's going to be a solid player at the very least, a, a, a role player on on a great team. So I, I like Anthony Edwards going first to, to to Minnesota, and then I also bet on Lamelo Ball dropping out of the first two picks. So I have I have Lamelo going third or, or lower, and I think that's going to happen because the only wild card with that is Golden State trading the pick. I have I I have complete confidence that Golden State will not draft Lamelo Ball. They will not. Because that doesn't make any sense for the roster and it doesn't make any sense for the organization. A, a very classy, and I mean, uh, I don't know, but classy is the right word, but very professional and, situation. Yeah. So P- people think it's just a show with LeVar Ball, but if you actually listen to some NBA insiders, they'll say, no, he's an actual problem and a distraction to an organization and they don't want to deal with it. So, no, I, don't, I think you're absolutely right that LaMelo is is definitely um, inhibited by that in the fact that he played in Australia and was kind of the coach's son when he was out on the court and just took every single shot. So it's hard to evaluate a player like that when there's so much baggage around him. And, and Golden State's an organization kind kind of like the Pats uh, where they're just not going to deal with that type of BS. And if they see any of it, they'll just get rid of it right away. You know? Yeah. I, I, I like that take. I, I, I just, I don't see, look, Lamelo Ball's passing is honestly considered probably the best asset in this draft. They say that he's just an incredible passer. And from the, the highlights that I've seen of him, he does look like a really great passer, but he just has, does not seem to be doing well in the, like the off court interviews with teams pre-draft. And he's not really going to many workouts. I don't think he has, I think he went to maybe one workout early on, but he hasn't been working out at all. Like he, they don't know about the, they don't, they question uh, him with the people that he has surrounding him. Um, so I, I just don't think that he uh, has a good formula for success coming into the league. And I think it's going to take some maturation from him to, to, to really find an identity and to be successful in the NBA. Um, and honestly, I love this take from Bill Simmons. They were, he was talking about the possibility of Lonzo ball getting traded and then joining with LaMelo to the team that he gets drafted with. And I believe he was talking about to Chicago. I think he was saying Chicago, um, Chicago trading. They could trade a couple guys. They have assets, Chicago. They could, they, if they wanted to, they could go out and get, um, Lonzo Ball. They, they have Markinen, uh who's a really. Good I wouldn't player. trade Markinen for Lonzo, but they I mean, Kobe have, White. Yeah, I think he has what that was the trade that I think the hypothetical they probably that probably don't Simmons want Kobe White about. and Lonzo and Lamelo. That's that's a lot of um, yeah. Ball I believe on the same I believe team, that's so. what Simmons, Bill Simmons, was kind of. Uh, that was his hypothetical. Kobe White, Kobe White for Lonzo, basically maybe some picks thrown in, and um, 
pairing up Lonzo with Lamelo. He's, he's a talented player, and he's Lonzo seems to have his head squared on right. Um, you know, the rest of that family, who knows? But yeah, you know, I think he still has some promise. He he came into the bubble and looked really bad, but before that, you know, he he's also yeah, a yeah, yeah. passer. So you wouldn't be shocked that his brother has somewhat of a similar skill set. the 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 question is, you know, are they going to be efficient enough scorers, and can they? can they play at an NBA level with the amount of distraction that's going to surround them? I agree. Yeah. Just uh, looking forward to a, hopefully a, a really entertaining and interesting NBA offseason. So hopefully we, we uh, continue. Picks you have, I, I love that handicapping. I think you're, you're nailing those picks. Yeah. And I, I got, I got good odds on both those. I think I got Anthony Edwards at like plus 175 plus 200 at uh, the first pick overall. And then I got LaMelo dropping below the second pick at like plus, I think it was plus 200. So, or plus 225. So um, I like both those, both those handicaps. So Connor. Speaking of betting, Benny. Yeah. Can, can, can we talk football? Can we yes, talk NFL please. football? Can we talk yeah. football? Please. We've got, we've got almost 40 minutes into the podcast. Oh my God. We, we <laughs> this is the longest we ever got without talking NFL football. So let's get going here. We got, we got a great slate of games here for week 10. I'm excited, Connor. man. Yeah. Connor, let's, let's, let's kick it off with the, the stinker. Let's kick it off. Let's save the worst for first. All right. So <laughs> Washington football team versus the Detroit Lions. This game is not one that I will be watching. <laughs> I I honestly lean Detroit here if Stafford plays, but I mean, I just I, I don't trust Alex Smith at all in Washington. I just thought he looked terrible. He threw for, I know like 325 yards last year, but he had like five picks and it, it, look, he threw the ball for 325 yards because he was they were down by so much and he had to force the ball deep downfield. So I do not like Washington the rest of the way. I know their defense is pretty good. They have a they have pretty good passing defense. And um, Chase Young is really, really good. He's the best rookie this season, basically. And um, I don't know. I just think Detroit's just – I mean, Detroit sucks too. But this, this game, man, I don't even know why I brought it up. <laughs> so not necessarily specifically this game, but if I'm thinking rest of the season about Washington, I actually like them to sneak out a few wins and play well. Their schedule isn't very strong. They play in the NFC East and they're going to play, you know, the, the Giants and, and the Eagles a couple of times. Um, I think they already played the Giants twice actually and lost, but you know, you get the idea that they play in a very weak division and Alex Smith might actually be the best quarterback on the roster. And finally he gets a chance to start. He's success <laughs> historically. We know he, he had, that horrific injury it's taken him you know a year and a half to get back on the field and so of course first game he's going to be a little bit rusty but i do think you upgrade terry mclaurin and antonio gibson uh i think these and, and we saw jd mckissick catch a ton of passes from him too if alex smith starts to get into a rhythm with the washington defense as talented as talented as it is and i don't think right away and maybe in this game they but maybe let's watch this game to see if anything clicks with washington and maybe they make a run for that division yeah i like your take better you had you had good you had good stats i like it so let's go to the next one because i don't have much to talk about with washington and detroit i just i just don't think either team is very good and, yeah. and i'm not going to be watching this game but I, I do like your take i think washington alex smith is a professional so he can throw the football i just i question how that team's going to succeed down the stretch yeah. but I, I agree with you they have a, such a weak division anything could happen so detroit's kind of boring um kenny galladay is going to be out this week he's Matt patricia might be player. the worst coach in the nfl as well anthony lynn might be giving a run for his money but 
Uh, all right, next game, Houston Texans versus the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland's favored by three points, laying three points here to Houston. And I'm, I'm labeling this as one of my best bets of the week. I actually, I wasn't able to get this at minus three. By the time I was able to bet it, it got to Cleveland minus four, and I was still willing. That was the most I was willing to go. Cleveland minus four on this. Um, not my my number one best bet of the week, but one of them. And I'm taking Cleveland over Houston in this one. I just The matchup here is just really great for Cleveland. Everything that Houston doesn't do well, Cleveland does do well. And like Cleveland really runs the ball well. They're getting Nick Chubb back and they're the, one of the better rushing teams in the NFL. Houston has like the, the 28th, I believe, rushing defense in the NFL. Um, and, and Cleveland and uh, Houston is not going to be able to run the ball themselves very well without David Johnson. Uh, Duke Johnson, I believe, is going to be heading their backfield this weekend. And um, the only way that I could see this bet going awry is if Deshaun Watson basically has his vintage, one of his vintage Deshaun Watson just throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns and just goes off. And I, I don't really see that happening here, uh, but that's the only possibility I could see because if this game goes like I think it will, it's going to be Cleveland running the ball, holding the ball for maybe 32 plus minutes in time of possession. And I think they're going to score mid twenties to 20, maybe upper twenties points, like 28 points or so. And um, I, th- I think Cleveland's going to be able to roll Texan, the uh, Houston Texans here with this matchup. I think it's a very good take. Houston's horrible at defense, specifically against the run and the Browns get Nick Chubb back this week. Um, Kareem Hunt's been very solid, but he is been better on the Browns as more of a second fiddle coming in, uh, the the occasional run and getting a lot more usage in the passing game. He's very good out in space, whereas Nick Chubb is better between the tackles. Um, so I think once they get their little bit of their thunder and lightning back in the running game, they'll be able to dominate. What does scare me? is when I think about the quarterbacks of these two teams, I hate betting on the worst quarterback and Baker Mayfield's a lot worse than Deshaun Watson, which scares me. So would I be shocked even as bad as this Houston defense is if Baker threw for two or three picks and Watson went for 303 and managed to overcome some of the deficiencies on this Houston defense? No, I wouldn't be. So I feel a little bit more comfortable teasing this game down to maybe two and a half or three points rather than four. And if it does stick at four, I'm probably staying away. Um, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks have really come into their own. They've learned the offense um, and without DeAndre Hopkins there. And they're both playing in that top 15 to 20 range in terms of fantasy. Um, I like their opportunity in this game against the Browns to throw the ball. Like you mentioned, David Johnson's going to be out. So I think they're going to really rely on Deshaun Watson. Maybe these are a couple of guys you want to get into your DFS lineups if you're playing um, DFS too, to foreshadow mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. For Baker, be cognizant of his status going into the game because he had a COVID scare earlier in the week. I believe he um, was had close contact with somebody who tested positive. I think he's going to play. Uh, all indica- I haven't seen any indication that he's not going to play. Um, but just uh, that is one thing that I'm wary about with guys this year. Um, I, I believe like the co- like the lack of practice and like having a COVID week where you you have to stay away from the facility or something like, I think that does have a little bit of an impact, maybe like a half a point or something like that. Very, very minuscule, but be aware, make sure Baker's playing. Cause um, you did say, I mean, no doubt Deshaun Watson's the better QB, but you know, Baker Mayfield is actually one of the best fourth quarter quarterbacks this season. And a lot of that has to do with game scripts with Cleveland being them being down in a lot of games in the fourth quarter. Um, but Baker is playing well down the stretch. He does make, he has had a couple game winning drives this year. So don't shortchange him on that. Um, but you're right. 
no doubt Deshaun Watson's the better quarterback. And that, that is one thing that I'm wary of, but I just feel like Cleveland's team is the be- much better than Houston in, in this matchup. And I think that um, Cleveland actually gets a little bit too bad of a downgrade from that last, uh, they're coming off the bye. So their last game was against Vegas and they lost to Vegas and Cleveland, but I think they they got downgraded too much here from that game because that game was we mentioned in the last podcast a complete wash for me. I mean the wind and that Cleveland at Las Vegas game was just too crazy to get really get any sort of interpretation from that. So um, I like Cleveland here, but I see what you're saying. I, I see what you're saying with with Deshaun Watson. I'm 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 scared of that of the of the big Deshaun Watson game. Um, but give me give me Cleveland minus three. Um, I'm comfortably taking Cleveland minus three. I'm I'm less comfortable taking Cleveland minus four where I got them. Um, but I, I still like the Browns to at least win this ball game. So I did take them in a money line parlay as well. Uh, next game, Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Green Bay Packers. Packers are favored by 13 and a half points. This is not much to talk about here. Jacksonville just starting a rookie quarterback, uh, uh, Jake Luton, Luton, Luton. Um, and, yeah, so Green Bay is going to win this one. I wouldn't recommend gambling just because uh, the 13 half points is a big margin. And I did bet the under on this one because the weather is going to be vicious in Green Bay on Sunday. It's going to be like 40 degrees, freezing temperatures, wind upwards of a gust of like 40 plus miles an hour, averaging around mid 20s, they say, rain, um, just possibility of snow, like that this is going to be a very poor weather game. Uh, I took it at minus, I believe 49, I mean, under 49 points um, total um, for this one. And I, I, th- I like that pick a lot, honestly, because I think there's going to be a difficulty with offense on this one. Yeah. The Packers will win this game. Uh, and then if you're thinking about, you know, fantasy, maybe you fade Devonte Adams and DFS, you're obviously going to start no, him in, in yeah. regular, but DJ Charks may be a guy you, you also He's more of a wide receiver to flex, so maybe you have better options there, realizing that the weather's going to impact this game. And then James Robinson and Aaron Jones, if you think this, yes. this is going to be a lot of snow, these guys are going to ground and pound, and we can look to maybe you know secure uh, those guys in your DFS lineups. Yeah, Aaron Jones was somebody that I was really looking forward to locking into my DFS lineup this week because I think Aaron Jones is going to have a great week um, for Green Bay. Um, they, they, both those teams, they do love to rely on the run game too with um, um, help me with the head coach in Green Bay now. And they have Marone in, down in Jacksonville. Uh, um, Lafleur. Lafleur, thank you. Um, both of these teams, the, the, last year, the, they showed that they really wanted their identity to be running teams. And if you have a situation where they need to, they're going to love to do that. And I think they're really going to emphasize. Um, and the, the Packers, are they still without Jamal Williams too? No, he's going to play. Um, so the Packers do have their full healthy running back quarter. I mean, I mean, I think uh, one of their third strings is injured, but they have their two guys. Um, the Packers are, are relatively healthy and coming into this one. So I don't, I don't see how, like, if you want to take like a, a upset money line, possibly like the long shot. Jacksonville is not your guy this week. Jacksonville is not going to win this game. So um, yeah. my only worry is the line is um, 13 and a half points. So the question is, do you think that in bad weather, they're going to be enough points scored to yeah. cover that? Maybe not. That was my thought. That was my thought. Cause we do have a picks pool at 13 and a half points. And um, I think I'm going to take Jacksonville because um, green, green Bay is, 
is going to have a hard time scoring enough points to cover. Like I said, with the two touchdown spread, basically. So maybe you throw the Packers into a teaser as more of a money line, um, just as a lock it in, you expect to win and boost your odds a little bit. Yeah, that's a good call. All right, let's uh, let's go on the next one. We got Philadelphia versus New York, the Eagles versus the Giants. Uh, really hard to watch NFC East battle here. Uh, uh, these teams had a great game, actually. Uh, was it a Thursday night or a Monday night? It was a it was a primetime game uh, two weeks ago, I believe. Right. Let me make the case that this is actually a watchable game. All right, go event. ahead. Go ahead. Let, um, Convince me. Judge, jury, your honor. I want to propose that the Philadelphia Eagles versus New York Giants is a watchable football game. Now, hear me out. (laughs) The Eagles, Carson Wentz starting quarterback, former MVP candidate. We like that. Uh, Miles Sanders coming back. All right. This is a guy who's a first round fantasy running back. Awesome last season. Finally healthy. We like that. Jalen Rager, their first round wide receiver back and healthy. We like that. Dallas Goddard back and healthy. Alshon Jeffrey might play in this game. So we could possibly see the Eagles with a full slate of offensive weapons. We get to finally evaluate, okay, is Carson Wentz actually going to be the quarterback of this team? Can he perform with healthy weapons? The second thing I want to mention is this Giants defense has actually performed very well on the season. They're a hard-nosed team. They have Jabril Peppers playing awesome out there. They're a very... Um, Joe Judge has his team playing very hard. They're not winning games, but they're not losing by much either. And then the Giants offense is always fun. You never know what Daniel Jones might do. He might break out for an 80-yard run and, and fall 10 yards forward into the end zone. So I think this is a watchable game. All right. All right. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I'm, I'm going to take Philadelphia minus three in this one. Um, but really it's the health. I think Philadelphia is getting healthier and that's the reason why I'd be, ta- I'd be taking them. But I mean, the, the giants are frisky. They uh, they've shown some, some deep, some decent defense over the last few weeks. And so you're right. It could be, it could be an interesting game. Hopefully we get another, another good close rematch from what we saw a couple weeks ago. So um, I don't know. This is the winner of this matchup. Like if the giants win this matchup, are they going to be one of the, fa- uh, I know they won't be first in the NFC East, but will they be like the favorites in gambling or a, a dark horse in gambling to win the NFC East if they win this game? Honestly, it's a total crapshoot. I think all those teams have two or three wins, and I'm not going to put any money on the NFC East to do anything this season. Uh, if I were to, I would probably go with the Eagles um, based on, like I said, I like to bet the quarterback and the health of the team. We know that the Cowboys are missing Dak Prescott. I don't think Andy Dalton's a solution. Daniel Jones is very liable to turn the ball over in any game and, and Washington's rotating through different quarterbacks as well. So continuity purposes, I like the Eagles going forward, but we'll see after this game, the Giants defense, like you said, is very frisky. Yeah. All right, next matchup, Tampa Bay versus Carolina. The Buccaneers in uh, – oh, sorry, the Tampa Bay is at home. The Buccaneers are at home against the Carolina Panthers. Panthers are getting plus five and a half. I got them actually at plus six. Panthers are one of my best bets to cover this plus five and a half, plus six spread here um, on the week. And the reason being is Carolina, I believe they – they I think they, they lost against the spread their first two weeks, but they, I think they've covered every week since. And Teddy Bridgewater has been, I, lo- I like what I've seen out of him. I mean, 
all all accounts were coming to the season that they thought most most experts thought that Teddy Bridgewater was a system quarterback, and that's he's proving a lot of people wrong. I mean, he's he's stretching the ball downfield, he's taking chances, he's playing, he's throwing accurate footballs, he's doing he's doing damage with his feet, um, and I just think that Carolina has a, a well a well coached team. I mean, last week they were in that game to the end against Kansas City and they were playing to win from the start. I mean, the first. So usually nowadays when teams uh, win the coin flip to start the game, they defer because, I mean, they would rather receive the ball in the second half. Carolina won the coin toss against Kansas City last week and said, you know what, we're going to we're going to stick it to them. We're going to we're going to make a statement here to start the game. We're going to take the ball right away and we're going to receive and then we're going to march down and score on you. And I think they they threw an interception um, or they, they turned the ball over on a fumble or something in the, in the first drive. Um, but then they got the ball back and they scored and they scored a touchdown on the next on the next drive. And Carolina is looking to look Carolina knows their limitations. They know that they're a, a middle tier organization this season, but you know, they're playing like they're, they're trying to make some scrappy moves. And I, I, I like Carolina to stay in this game. It's, it's a, it's going to be a, a NFC South um, battle. I think it, it's going to be a, a, a really grime of, of a divisional matchup. And so I don't love, Played against Tom Brady and Buck and the Buccaneers after such a embarrassing loss last week. You know they're going to come back this week very motivated to make a statement win. But I just feel like this game is going to be a close one. I I, I don't see how Tampa Bay is going to dominate Carolina because Carolina does too many good, too many things well um, to just get embarrassed um, on the on the football field. And saying I think the spread is too big. I think Carolina's at plus five and a half has at least a. a a point and a half to two point value here. And so I'm going to take Carolina. Um, the pl- I got, I got my actually, I got them at plus six. And so I was really happy about that. Yeah. If I had to pick a side, I'm definitely leaning Carolina as well. They have the weapons on offense, even when they get behind because of their defense to stay in these games with Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore on the outside. Robbie Anderson is, is a top 10 player in yards this season. Um, and Mike Davis is very good out of the backfield. Unfortunately, they don't have Christian McCaffrey in this game I yeah. think with a shoulder injury after missing five or six weeks with, with a leg problem, but they've been competitive without him. I would love, this would be my best bet of the week. If they did have McCaffrey, he looked electric in that Kansas city chiefs game. Didn't miss a beat. I think he had two touchdowns and over a hundred yards. It sucks that there's so many injuries this season. We don't have Saquon or Christian McCaffrey. I mean, these guys just light up the light up the screen when they play on Sundays, but yeah, give me the Panthers here. I am worried though about the bucks. We know Tom Brady is one of the most intense players in NFL history. We saw him barking at guys on the sideline. I don't think he'll like the fact that they only did their offense oh, yeah. score a field goal last game. I think they are going to come back with a vengeance. This is now he it's two weeks playing with their three-star receivers in practice. And I think that Bruce Arians is going to scheme up some offense against the Panthers team. I like this as a bounce back week for Brady as well. I love how much these two teams are going to score. The over-under is 50 and a half. I think they actually outperform that. The Bucks defense clearly showed that they're fallible. I was thinking they're one of the best defenses of the team. That's why I had them as top five in our power rankings. But clearly, they're very vulnerable if you're able to spread the ball around um, to your different weapons. And I don't think Marshawn Lattimore can cover all three of these receivers at the same time. If Teddy Bridgewater can get the ball out quickly, um, we know Mike Davis is good in the screen game too. So even if the Saints um, pass rush with Cam Jordan and some of those other um, – 
defensive lineman get to Teddy Bridgewater. Like you said, he's good out of the pocket. He can scramble with his feet. He has plenty of guys he can dump the ball off to. And Curtis Samuels also yards after the catch. He, he's fantastic. So I like the Panthers here. Yeah, I like to take. I think the Panthers are um, a frisky team, and I, I, like, I like their chances to cover in this one. All right, next matchup, Denver versus Las Vegas. The Broncos are, in, are at home against the Raiders. Raiders coming off a big win last week against the division rival L.A. Chargers. Another um, divisional matchup here between, with the Raiders, the Broncos, and the Raiders facing off. The Raiders are laying four and a half points over under a 51 points. Um this is a tough matchup and I'm honestly staying away from it because I don't know how I feel about what Denver's defense is going to be able to do against Las Vegas's offense. And so that's the biggest question mark of a matchup for me. Um, and I know Denver's offense is, leaves a lot to be desired. And so that's a question mark, but I really, I, it dep- if the Raiders offense is able to move the ball well, and I think to an extent they should be, um, able to, but I, I just feel like Denver's defense is, is pretty decent to have. They have one of the better defenses in the league this year and the fa- and they do rush the passer pretty well. So they, they have one of the higher pressure rates in the, in the NFL this year. I'm honestly staying away because of the spread. I think four and a half is just too big for me. I think Vegas got a really big boost from that win against the Chargers last week, but really just inches away from a, a heartbreaking loss. And they really lost. They won that game because the guy... F- dropped the punt in the fourth quarter at the end of the game for the Chargers. And um, I don't know. The Raiders got lucky last week, and I think they're getting too big of too big of a, a boost from that in this matchup. I, I, I'm honestly – I'm staying away from this, Denver versus Las Vegas. But this four-and-a-half spread is really tough for me to pick. Yeah, it's not a game I love, and honestly, it's a pretty boring game. So I, I, I don't really have a take here. Both these teams like to run the ball. Maybe I bet the under on the points. I don't think that Drew Locke and Derek Carr are very explosive in terms of their quarterback play. Um, We know that the Broncos are missing some offensive weapons. Melvin Gordon hasn't been particularly effective. Josh Jacobs, yards per carry is pretty low. Both of these defenses are are middle of the pack. So I think overall it's going to be a pretty generic game and not one that I'm particularly interested in. I agree. All right, let's just roll into the next one. Buffalo versus Arizona. This is a great, and on the contrast, this is a great matchup. Um, Buffalo Bills versus the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. Arizona's minus two in this matchup. But uh, this is, Arizona's getting a lot of respect here. I mean, they're really saying that they're basically a half a point to a point better than Buffalo with this spread. And Buffalo, if they're better than Buffalo and Buffalo beat Seattle like they did last week, What's that say about Arizona at this? So I do want to take Arizona. I lean Arizona minus two, but I'm wary of Buffalo in this one. I, I, I'm a little bit, I think Josh Allen's legit. I, I thought I loved what I saw out of him against Seattle. I do warn listeners though, look, Buffalo's, any team's going to look great against that Seattle defense right now. So you want to give Buffalo any sort of boost from that Seattle um, game? Sure. But you look, you got to understand that Seattle passing defense and the rushing defense, really. I mean, any 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 part of their defensive scheme is just wrong. It's I mean, historically bad. Their passing yeah. defense. Yeah, we'll get to them. But I mean, just uh, a really great matchup here with Buffalo and Arizona. I love the the game between Arizona and Miami last week. That was the game of the week. Kyler Murray just looking like a really just awesome young stud MVP candidate um, going forward. And um, Tua Tagovailoa played really well against Arizona really just complete 180 turnaround from his first first game against the Rams. And I think that's what 
really shows you about the Rams defense, what they could do to a young quarterback. Um, but Tua looked much better against Arizona. Um, really showed glimpses of, honestly, it reminded me of when Tua came in in the national championship against um, Clemson for Hearns. And um, when he got hurt and he just, he looked confident and he looked willing to throw the ball downfield. He looked accurate. He looked good with his feet. Like he was making plays. I, I just thought he, it reminded me, that was the first time I had seen two in a while where he, it reminded me of Alabama to attack of And I, I liked it. I, I liked what I saw. And I, I, I look, I'm not, I'm not ready to jump like blindly onto that Miami dolphins bandwagon. Um, but I do think to a, I am much more optimistic this week on Tua than I was after his first start against the Rams. But what's your take on this this Buffalo um, Arizona game? Yeah, so I I, I am in agreement that I like the Cardinals here. I think Kyler week in and week out has been the most consistent quarterback on the season, and Josh Allen has been pretty up and down, just like the Bills. Now the Cardinals have a slightly worse record, so in a toss up. I would like to see the Cardinals getting a, getting a, a couple points here, actually, especially after the, the Bills play. I don't love the line. I think it's hurting you, but I still like the Cardinals to win this game. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take them. I just... Mm, I the line's know. tough, I huh? The line, I wish they were getting it's points. It's a really good line, unfortunately, and I'm surprised by Vegas on this one. I thought they would have had it going in the, the other direction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, give me the Cardinals, but I don't love it. Well, what this line tells me is they think the Cardinals are going to win this game. That's yeah. what this line tells me because the over under is 56. And if the Cardinals, when the Cardinals win football games nowadays, like they score a lot of points and that's basically that. So we talk a lot about how teams win games and being able to win games in a lot of different ways is super important this season because of the unpredictability of player personnel with injuries and COVID um, coaching differences and just lots of variables to juggle with this, especially during a COVID season. And what this line is telling us is Arizona is going to win this game because they're going to score a lot of points and the over is going to hit on 56. And so if you think Buffalo is going to win, I would recommend honestly taking the under because that means you're saying that Buffalo's defense is going to stifle Arizona's offense a little bit. Um, and 56 points is a big over under total. So it's going to be a really fun game. I, I, I probably am just going to sit back and watch and enjoy. Yeah. I, I think I, you know, I, I, I was going to sprinkle a little bit of money on Arizona in this one, but I don't think I did. Um, this is just such a great matchup. I want to just appreciate it and um, watch two quarterbacks just really cook. So um, I honestly, I, I love the receivers from both sides on this one too. So I think there's going to be a lot of offense. And then uh, our next game is the Dolphins against the Chargers. You talked a little bit about Tua and the Dolphins. Uh, do you like them in this matchup? I've gone back and forth on this matchup more than any any other this week. And I think this is the most unpredictable matchup of the week because the Chargers are one of the most unpredictable teams of the of the season. And the Chargers were so close to sneaking out a win last week against the, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. And they... Oh my gosh, this is just such a tough Matt. This is just such a tough pick, honestly. Let me listen to you. Let me go. You go first. What's what's your thought on this one? Take on this one. All right, go ahead. I'm heavily leaning on the Dolphins. The Dolphins' defense is one of the top three defenses in the league this year. So while Justin Herbert's very strong, uh, he's had a very strong rookie year performance. He is still a rookie, and he's due to have one of those games where 
he kind of looks foolish and looks like a rookie. And I think it's going to be this week. Um, You also mentioned how Tua has come along and played really well. Um, We saw the progression week one to week two. I I think he takes another step against a very dinged up and poor playing defense this year in the Chargers. So when I compare the defenses, I, I think the standout is really the Dolphins. And then I think about the head coaches too in Lynn versus Flores. I have a lot more trust in Brian Flores than I do in Anthony Lynn to pull out what could possibly be a, a close matchup. Um, you know, the lines at two and a half, I think, and uh, the over-under is under 50. So they're saying it's going to be a, um, a decently um, close game throughout and, that makes me think, okay, let me lean on the defense, lean on the head coach. And so I'm going to pick the dolphins and they're one of my top three bets this week. Uh, I'm not sure if they're my best bet. Um, There's a couple other games. I think I like a little bit better, but I'm heavily on the dolphins. Yeah. I look, I, I had all those same thoughts as you. I agree with all those. And my only, my only caution here is be like be careful about just diving headfirst into this Miami Dolphins bandwagon, this Miami Dolphins fan pool, because the it's been two weeks with Tua and I, we got to see more from him to, to really be able to gauge what, what he's going to be in the NFL. And look, they're the Miami Dolphins. Don't, don't forget that. They're still the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) They're known for not being (laughs) the court. Their history is they're still like, they have the stink on them still. And I know Brian Flores is a good coach this year. um, And I do like him over Anthony Lynn. So I do like that fan. That's all. Look, 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 I am. This game feels like a trap to me because I agree with all your points with Miami uh, minus two and a half, but I would not be surprised if we're talking next week and we're like, what happened with Miami? They didn't look good against LA. The Chargers looked good. Herbert threw for 340 yards and three touchdowns. And um, they, I don't know. I just feel like this game could go on, could be unpredictable. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. The, the Chargers are going to come out hot and they're going to be up 14 or 20 points. And then the Dolphins are going to come rushing back. And then the Chargers are going to have a play to either win the game. They're going to miss a kick, but they're somehow going to cover the two and a half, but they're going to lose the game. And that's, what's going to happen. Dolphins, sounds like a Dolphins really exciting game, win, but the Dolphins will not cover. <laughs> sounds like a really exciting game. It's, it's what the Chargers do. They find a way to keep the games close and they find a way to lose in the most dramatic and horribly yeah. depressing way possible. Yeah. I don't know if Anthony Lynn can survive another heartbreaking loss. If I think he's on the, He's a his seat is flaming hot right now, man. If he doesn't get fired, he might have a heart attack after all those close games. Honestly, oh my god! Did you see him when they dropped the punt against Vegas last week? He was Dude, just you, livid. Heart sinks. He was, oh. he was just like, I think he was like, fuck, like he he's just. You could see him cursing on the sideline, yeah. like so pissed. Just oh my god, he couldn't believe it. Well, now I, the coaches have the mask, so they can curse as much as they want yeah. without the camera being on them. They're they're good to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this game, this matchup it should be a good one. I, I think I, I, I agree with you. I lean Dolphins, but look, this matchup could go either way. I think the Chargers, uh, while while we want to bag on them and say how um, poor they are ha- uh, holding leads and fourth quarters, and Anthony Lynn's been coaching so poorly, like they do a lot of good things. Like Justin Herbert is possibly the best rookie quarterback in the NFL right now. Um, I know Joe Burrow and Tua have something to say about, about them and that, but Herbert's look great. And um, Keenan Allen's a beast. Um, I know no Justin Jackson for the Chargers this week. Eckler's on his way back soon. I saw that Instagram post of him for fantasy owners. Be on alert He's with Eckler. Us, yeah. Go buy him if you can. Yeah. But um, the, the Chargers, 
they're frisky. They're frisky. They do have the you they have like the best be four man you like pass rush. Them, you like rooting for yeah. them. Look, they have the best four man pass rush in the NFL. They do. They, I know no Joey Bosa is going to hurt that, but this year they've had the best four man pass rush in the NFL. I think they they reach the quarterback within like two and a half seconds or three seconds. I think like thirty something percent of the time, which is um, I think best in the league. So they do yeah. have a really good four man pass rush, which is super important in today's game. But you're right. All the signs point t- towards Miami in this one, which makes me think Chargers. But for whatever reason, <laughs> it's like golf when you have like you, you're hitting the ball left every time, and you're like, oh, I got to hit this one right. And so you think, or like, and so uh, you you to hit it right, you purposely try to hit it left, and then it goes right. Like it's counterintuitive. I've been snake bitten by the Chargers multiple times this season, and what I've learned is when you think the Chargers are going to win, and you want to put money on the Chargers, you should bet against the Chargers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that works in general the last few years, for sure. Um, next matchup, because that one's going to be a good one. It's tough to handicap, but I, I agree with you. Next one is, I, we haven't really seen this one on a lot of gambling sites, and I think it's because of the uncertainty of Ben Roethlisberger, whether or not he plays, um, because he does have the co- he's on the COVID-19 list right now. And this is uh, this, the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. And... I look. I wanted to include Cincinnati in a, in a long shot money line money line parlay in this one because I feel like this might be a little bit of a trap game for Pittsburgh coming off of the big win against Baltimore. They are sorry, they uh, the Cowboys. Actually. Cowboys. So they pretty, yeah, they played pretty ugly. Win. Yeah, they played Baltimore two weeks ago, and then they came off the the ugly win against Dallas, where they had to really play. They had to play really well in the fourth quarter to, to, to sneak that one out. Um, this feels a little bit like a, like a trap game. game. <laughs> yeah, this feels a little bit like a trap game, honestly. Ben Roethlisberger is a little banged up with the two knee injuries. Um, Pittsburgh, 8-0, rolling hot, feeling like they, uh, they're the favorites for the AFC Championship this year. And Cincinnati is a frisky offense coming off the bye week. Um, I just feel like this is going to be a good divisional battle. And so if this spread is within like a touchdown, I honestly lean Cincinnati in the spread to cover. And in a long shot money line parlay, I ha- I wanted to include Cincinnati and um, we'll talk about San Francisco. I I, I think these two, San Francisco and Cincinnati have long shot chances for wins in this in these other two matchups this week. Um, I don't I don't not saying that it's likely, but I think it's a, there's a long shot for it and there's a path for it. So um, this is a good matchup though. I'm looking forward to a good a, a good AFC North battle between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh here. You're you're absolutely right. The the Bengals really only have played one bad game on the year, and that was against the Ravens. Otherwise, they lost to the Chargers by three. They lost to the the Browns by five. They tied the Eagles. They beat the Jags. Then they had a huge blowout loss to the Ravens. Uh, they lost to the Colts by four. The Colts are a very good team. We saw that on Thursday night. And then they lost to the Browns by three, but then they beat the Titans. So they're either losing by a little bit. That's why they call uh, Joey Burrow, Joey covers, you know, he keeps yeah. the game close or they're winning games. So in a game where we think there, there could be an upset, the Steelers, you know, that they showed that they do have some weakness in that Cowboys game. Um, especially if big Ben doesn't play, I do like the, the Bengals to perform well. One thing to note is I do think they're going to be without Joe Mixon. So it's going to hamper the running game a little bit, but I think that this Pittsburgh team is going to be more vulnerable through the air, especially yeah. against the Bengals. They're not going to run the ball anyways. Catchers. Yeah. They're not really going to be running the ball anyways. Um, and so Gio Bernard is going to be able to do the, do the job um, out of the passing game because Pittsburgh's running. Yeah. yeah. Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh Steelers uh, rushing defense is too, too, I don't know, 
what's the word? Lethal. (laughs) I mean, Pittsburgh's defense is vicious this year. So um, I think Cincinnati is going to have to, I think, I mean, look for Joe Burrow to throw the ball like 50 to 60 times in this one. So I like that T Higgins trade that you gave me too this week, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Ben and I did a little trade. Uh, I lost Kittle for the season. So I traded Noah. I got Noah Fant. He got T Higgins. Those were the main pieces. And it's a, it's good. For both of us. Yeah. Yeah, You know, I get a starting piece. You get a starting piece. And I think it helps both of our rosters out on a plus minus compared to the guys we had in there. Um, and yeah. our benches so certainly all right next matchup seattle seahawks versus the los angeles rams this line is super interesting the rams are favored by one and a half points basically a neutral a neutral matchup here they're basically saying these teams are, are about equal I, i've seen the rams at minus two so maybe the rams just by about a half point better in some rankings um this is going to be a great great nfc west battle here um seattle coming off a uh, tough loss against Buffalo last week, traveling all the way to Buffalo. And then now traveling back all the way to LA. Seattle is really traveling a lot. And that's my, that's my thought here with, with um, taking the Rams here, minus one and a half, minus two, up to minus two. Um, Rams are one of my best picks of the week. And the reason being is Russell Wilson's looked mortal the last couple of weeks. And he's thrown, I think like two interceptions, three interceptions last week or and two, a couple of interceptions. Yeah. The week game, a few and- yeah I think he had three against the Cardinals and I think two against the two bills. Against the bills. Um, and the Seattle Seahawks had not been able to run the ball. And when Pete Carroll in the press conference after the Buffalo bills game last week was like, I don't know why they didn't run the ball. We had a great plan for why they would run the ball. And it's like, dude, are you not able to make mid game adjustments? Because I don't know what they were doing. They, they Josh Allen was through for 400 plus yards. Like, what are you got? Like, what kind of defense are you throwing out there? They have no defensive plan on that side of the ball. And how, with how bad their defense has been, their offense has been almost just as good. So it's, it's going to be, I think this is going to be a great game. And I lean Rams because I think the Rams strengths bode well for the matchup with the Seahawks because this, the Rams, the biggest worry for the Rams is Jared Goff by far. And we talk about this every week with the Rams. Jared Goff is a system quarterback and he does not do well when you pressure him, but the Seattle Seahawks are not going to pressure Jared Goff. They're not going to be able to get to him. The Rams offensive line is going to dominate the, the Seattle defensive line and Jared Goff's going to have time to throw the football. And so give me, all the Cooper Cup and Robert Woodstock that you're willing to sell me this week, give me, I don't know, give me a, a, a tight end a dart throw at Tyler Higby or Gerald Everett. Honestly, Gerald Everett might be the better dart throw because it's cheaper and he could score a touchdown or two. And I just feel like the Rams are going to be able to run the ball well against Seattle. They're going to be able to throw the ball against the Seattle and they're going to be able to do good play action and bootleg uh, naked bootlegs with uh, Jared Goff in this one. I think the the Rams have all the pieces to, to stifle Seattle here and, and win this game. I also think the Rams have a really great defense. They have, possibly have one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the NFL this year. And um, while Seattle's offense is, is very good, they scored, uh, I think, what, 34 points last week against Buffalo. Um, they're going to score points in this one for sure. But I do think um, the the Rams are going to get some turnovers on on defense and special teams possibly. Um, and, and I just think Seattle is, is the matchup. It just doesn't bode well for Seattle in this one. So give me LA minus one and a half, minus two in this one. Yeah, I'm on the Rams this week, too. And when I saw this line, I thought, you know, that's kind of wild that the Rams are favored against the Seahawks, where if this game was played three weeks ago, the Seahawks are probably minus three. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that shows you 
the difference in what we've seen in this Seattle team the past two weeks, you know, Russell's looked mortal. Like you mentioned, you, you painted a good picture so far and that, and that defense is just absolutely awful where Josh Allen, a guy who we think is talented, but up and down, he, he just looked like an MVP last week. And I, I love Jared Goff. I love Cooper cup, Robert Woods, maybe a dart throw at Josh Reynolds or Gerald Everett. I think the Rams offense is going to be able to do what they want in all phases of the game. And that leads itself to the Seahawks also having a good game. I like in this game, Lockett more than Metcalf. And I think that Jalen Ramsey will be seeing a lot more of Metcalf. He's a big physical guy Um, as well. If this team is going to have a decent pass rush, the Rams, we think Aaron Donald is going to be able to push Russell out of the pocket a little bit. The chemistry he has with Lockett when they, have to come up with something on the fly, I think is unparalleled in the league. And the, the, the passer rating between those two shows that the past couple of years. So if, if Russell's going to be cooking and out of the pocket, I think it's going to be going to lock it. And I like lock it to have a nice game. Maybe even David Moore as a dart throw, because we do think they're going to be point scored. And we don't think Seattle is going to be able to run the ball without Chris Carson. And I don't think they have Carlos Hyde either. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's a good take. Um, one thing I want to mention here, and, and I'm honestly, this brings me back also to a little bit of the Chargers and Dolphins game, the travel schedules. Travel schedules are something that I like I like looking at a little bit. And Seattle, they, they had a home game against San Francisco um, two weeks ago, but they were in Buffalo last week. That's a long flight to Buffalo. They were in Seattle the week before, and then they were in Arizona the week before, and then now we're going from Buffalo all the way to LA. Like there's a lot of traveling going on here and, and, and traveling sucks when you lose. Seattle lost against um, Buffalo last week. That's a miserable plane ride. Like, I think like these things, they, they, there's these small things that matter. Like the chargers are, I think they traveled. I think they're going to travel also the most miles of any, any team this year. I think that over the last like three or four weeks, I heard that they've traveled the most. Um, they're, th- th- this matters. And I honestly, I'm, I'm convincing myself of the dolphins and uh, as well as I've already convinced myself of the Los Angeles Rams in this one. But um, I like your takes. I think Seattle's defense is going to struggle. And I think um the offense for Seattle should be able to throw the ball because I don't think they're going to be able to run it. So, I mean, Russell Wilson's going to, I mean, you could count on Russell Wilson throwing for 300 yards to lock it and Metcalf to again, getting them a, t- a touchdown, maybe one each or, or giving one of them or two touchdowns. So is um, Rams your best bet of the week? No, just because I would never make my best bet against Russell Wilson. I would never do that. I just, I, I would never do it. I can't do it. Uh, so the Rams are one of my best bets, but they're not the best bet. I, I, and we're, we're getting to that game. Um, next one though, San Francisco versus the new Orleans saints. The 49ers are real banged up. Everybody. That's the storyline with 40, with the 49ers camp this year. Um, new Orleans coming off that great win against Tampa Bay last week. They're becoming the NFC favorites. Um, after that big dominating win against the Buccaneers last week, what's your take on this one? Because this, this line is, is pretty big. So we're baking, we're baking on. San Francisco not having their guys, not being uh, not being healthy, real banged up, and we're counting on the New Orleans Saints being one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the NFL. So, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, it's a big line. I don't think it's big enough. I, I I'm going to take the Saints here. The Saints are finally healthy with Michael Thomas back. Their offense looked incredible. Drew Brees was fantastic against the Bucks. We think the Bucks are a very strong defense. San Francisco is extremely banged up on both sides of the ball. Debo Samuel still out. George Kittle still out. Um, 
Garoppolo hasn't looked good. He's been in and out of the lineup and injured. I'm not sure if he plays this weekend. We know their top running backs are, are, are also out. So I really do think that the Saints kind of do something similar to what they did last week. And I think this is a big blowout. And I'm feeling confident in taking the Saints here at minus nine. Look, I, I feel you with the Saints. I, I picked them last week against Tampa Bay. I felt like I was like the one of the only ones on them last week. I feel like everybody was on Tampa Bay. And um, I'm honestly reverse you field a little bit here. I'm taking the 49ers plus nine. Honestly, I threw them in a money line parlay um, at, at, to win this game possibly. And I, I'm not saying they will. I would never actually feel like they're going to win this game, but the odds were pretty good. I combined them with, uh, I believe it was like the Niners and like uh, the uh, I had them in a parlay. I can't remember which one it was. I had, um, I think I just bet them straight up. Actually, I think I had the Niners at like plus four hundred, plus five hundred to to for the money line on this. I thought that was a, a good enough odds for me to, to just take a, a little flyer on, um, simply because San Francisco has one of those coaches in Kyle Shanahan that knows how to keep his team competitive. But the uh, but my thought here was just that the, the Niners are a, t- a professional football team that can cover a nine point spread. And, and the coaching, the coaching matchup here is I mean, Sean Payne's going to outcoach all but maybe five coaches in the NFL, seven, seven coaches in the NFL. Sean Payne's a great NFL coach, but Kyle Shanahan's one of those five to seven coaches that Payne's not going to outcoach. And the 49ers, I think that we're seeing what this health is really doing to them. This, this, Difficulty with their health is what what's doing to them is making them inconsistent more so than untalented because their the health is causing them to have some t- really bad games, but they also are able to have some good games. And um, I think that's kind of a reflection of Kyle Shannon keeping the, the, the ball rolling, keeping the keeping the, the players motivated and keeping them focused. And I think that a lot has to be said about just the 49ers coaching staff with this one. And so that's why I feel like the nine point spread is a difficult one for the saints to cover just because I just, I, I think that the 49ers are a professional team. And if they were healthy, you would, we would be talking about them possibly beating any team on this, on this docket. The Niners coming into the year where the, I mean, the NFC champions, the reigning NFC champions, and they were one of the Super Bowl favorites for a lot of people. And uh, just the health and a lot of things not going their way this season. I just feel like the nine point spread is too large for me to pick the Saints in this one. All right, let's go to this is my best bet of the week. The Baltimore Ravens minus seven against the New England Patriots. And <laughs> so you could say all you want. I'm the Pats fan. And I am officially crossing off the Pats for this season. I know they won against um, New York last week, but oh my God! Like the so, I think that the, you want you want to talk about how the Jets w- were winning that game and almost won that game, like how competitive it was. Look, that was not a good sign for the Jets. That was a bad sign for the Patriots. Like Joe Flacco looked like Super Bowl MVP Joe Flacco, and he and the Rashad Perriman for the Jets looked like. I don't know, Chris Godwin or, or Devontae Adams. Like, like what? It, the Patriots defense is so bad, especially without uh, Stephon Gilmore and Lawrence Guy. I don't think either is playing this week still. I think they're both still out. Um, and so Baltimore, if, if, if New England's going to make Joe Flacco and the New York Jets offense look like the way they did last week on Monday Night Football, what are they going to make Baltimore's offense look like? What is Lamar Jackson going to be able to do against them? Like, I just... I, 
I just feel like Baltimore is going to dominate this game, like dominate. And the only re- reason I could say the only argument I can make for the Patriots in this one is if Baltimore tries things out, tries new things, because Baltimore has been having um, a lot of internal conversations about how predictive their offense has been how Lamar goes to the line and he feels like the defense already knows what play is coming because they run a lot of similar plays at a different uh, at a different sets. So that's what a lot of teams do in the NFL. They run a lot of the same plays, but they'll give you different looks. They'll have, they'll send, send guys in motion. They'll set them up on a different side of the line. They'll put them in, in the slot. You know, they, they just give you a lot of the same plays, but in different looks. And Lamar has been feeling like that the defense knows what play is coming. And so the only way that I could see New England keeping this game close is if Baltimore is trying different things where like maybe Lamar throws 30 plus passes in this one or 40 passes in this one. And maybe he doesn't run the ball that much. Like that's the only thing I could see happening in this one where I I just, I I feel like new England is about to get rolled over in this one. Um, And your your feeling is correct. They are going to get rolled. Lamar Jackson played well. They, They played the Colts last week. They covered, it was, you know, the, he, he, the Baltimore Ravens defense is so strong. It's the pinnacle of that team to where Lamar Jackson won't need to throw the ball 30 or 40 times. And even if he does and have a, has a couple turnovers, the Pats offense has looked so disjointed. They don't have playmakers. A lot of their offensive weapons are still injured in terms of the receiver core. They've been leaning on Jacoby Myers to be their number one target. I know, right? And Newton has looked wildly inaccurate. And I don't think Cam is going to be super effective on the ground against this really stout Ravens defense. Are we so, sure Cam's healthy? Are we sure no, he's healthy? Not. He's looked horrible since he's come back from COVID. Last week was probably the uh, – he looked decent against the Bills, uh, but he had that late fumble too. So, yeah. you know, I don't think Cam is, is fully there. I think he's lost a lot of confidence. I, people His, are my the Patriots. My shoulder hurts when I watch Cam Newton throw the football. <laughs> like, and, when and he, he throws balls into the, like, he's skipping balls into the he's, got like, he's throwing 10 feet high. Yeah, he, the place. He's got like a hitch in his shoulder. Like he, he moves his shoulder up to, it's almost like I, I had a lot of arm injuries in baseball and it's almost like the way I used to throw when I was injured. Like I used to have to like kind of, it's like, it's a weird way to explain it, but like you kind of like move your shoulder into like a little bit of a hitch, like, so that to like get your arm into a slot that doesn't hurt so much. And it looks like that's what he's doing to me. Yeah. There's certain it, injuries on the rotator cuff and certain spots, certain angles hurt. So maybe he's throwing a little bit differently and that's causing accuracy issues. And it's yeah. been really a problem with him since his MVP season, you know, since he got hurt, he just never has looked the same. Yeah. I want to, I want to think that Cam Newton could, could be the quarterback for the Patriots going forward, but I don't see it anymore. I just, I, I, I don't, I, he just looks too hurt and too banged up. Uh, but, yeah. How many more weeks do they give Cam Newton before they move to Stidham? Yeah, I know. Right. It feels like they're going to give him a look at some point to see if he could be the guy next year. Yeah. And then that leads us into our last game, which is also mm-hmm. my best bet of the week. So we're following yours up with my, I like it. I'm big on the Minnesota Vikings right now. I'm, all in on the Dalvin cook train. I had Dalvin cook in one of my DFS lineups last week and holy crap. I did well because Dalvin <laughs> Cook has been a rock star. He and Alvin Kamara have been the, the best fantasy football players of the season so far, aside from Kyler Murray. So at the running back position. And I, I think the bears are a decent defense, but they look really bad on offense, similar to how everything looks mistimed in new England. Same thing with the bears. Um, there's a, a really bad offensive line there. 
David Montgomery's been injured. Tariq Cohen's been injured. Um, and they don't have continuity at the quarterback position. They they used Trubisky at the beginning of the year. They brought Foles in. Nagy's got weird play calls. So I'm really off of the Bears. And the Vikings, oddly, after a really rough start, have gotten back to who they are. And they're leaning on Dalvin Cook in the running game. And that's allowing their defense to stay off of the field and allowing them to control the ball. Whereas previously in the season, they were playing from behind and having to throw a lot. And when you have Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, that's not really your strength. I like to see um, the Vikings in this game uh, control the ball. I don't think Chicago's offense can get it done. And I like the the Vikings to cover the two and a half points. Yeah, I, I like that take. I, I honestly, I, I didn't. I feel like I didn't look hard enough at this game because I agree with you 100 here. Minnesota is going to win this game. And l- let me give you a stat that's going to blow your mind a little bit here because this is the Bears are that offense is historically bad. Like they're they're schemed so poorly. And Matt Nagy um, is going to give up the play calling this week. I can't remember the, the, the offensive coordinator's name, um, but the Matt Nagy is no longer calling plays for the Chicago bears because so last week, let me give you the stat here. Tennessee's third down conversion rate on for their uh, opponents on defense. So Tennessee's defense, keeping their opponents um, from converting on third downs was I think the 28th worst in the league. They were right now, Tennessee's, um, that opponents are converting 53.23% of third downs against um, their tennis, the Tennessee Titans defense. That's, and over the last three, um, there's, they, they are a lot better because Chicago converted two for 15 on third down last week, two for 15, like Tennessee's defense is terrible, like really, really bad. And Chicago's offense solved all their problems, solved all of them. Like Tennessee's defense looked really good last week because Chicago's offense is so freaking bad, like so bad. And what makes no sense to me is why Allen Robinson isn't leading their team in targets. That guy might be one of the best, if not the best receivers in the NFL. He's never had a good quarterback. He's never been on a good offense. Like, why is he not the focal point of that offense? Why are they not running everything through him? I feel like when the, the only time that Al Robinson goes off is when the Chicago Bears are in the fourth quarter and they're like, oh, shit, we got to score. We got to score 10 points and, and, and 10 minutes to, to reel you back. Robinson's leading the team in targets by 32. What's the uh, what's the reception zone? Might be thinking receptions. Um, he's got the most receptions on the team by 22. All right. Where did I see? It might've been, um, I saw it on Twitter. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was looking at over the last three games. That's what it was. Okay. So bears targets. Mike Clay tweeted this out. I knew I wasn't going crazy. So uh, earlier or, or last week, uh, Mike Clay tweeted out the bears target leaders over the last three games, Darnell Mooney, 24, Anthony Miller, 24, Allen Robinson, 21, Jimmy Graham, 19. What the fuck are they doing? What are they doing? Why? Look, I get the only positive here to say about Chicago is Matt Nagy is not calling plays anymore because that guy cannot call offensive plays. I, I don't know why he was thought of. I don't know why he was thought of being some sort of offensive guru coming into Chicago. I know, um, I know he's a little bit, isn't he well, a little bit more, more well-known for his, his defensive uh, schemes, but I just, I, I feel like people were giving him a good rap for offense, right? Yeah. The Bears. He, he was using a unique scheme between Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen, and they ran a lot of trick plays and Mr. Bisky, they use his legs more as a rookie. And so he was, his creative play calling actually worked a couple of years ago. And, and then all of a sudden teams just studied the tape, figured it out. And it was a one-year thing. 
Yeah. Uh, dude, give me the Minnesota Vikings in this one, man. Uh, I think Minnesota is one of the best 15 to 16 teams in the NFL right now. These teams I, I are lo- trending in completely different directions if you think yeah. about it. So the fact that the spread's less than three, you have to assume that the, you, you just got to be on the team that's playing a lot better. You got to ride the wave with the Vikings right now. Yeah. The only caution, so I'll make the argument for the Bears to just play devil's advocate. The only argument here is the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk, Kirk Cousins does not play well on primetime games in primetime games. He's well known for that. He's not a, yeah. he's not a primetime quarterback. He by far plays better on t- uh, the 10 a.m., the 1 p.m. slot, 1 p.m. Eastern slot on Sundays. Like he, he like head over heels plays better for whatever reason at that time slot. Um, but um, the, also the only thing is that so my thought here is I love Dalvin Cook. I love what you said about him. I think he's possibly the MVP alongside Alvin Kamara. Honestly, I don't understand why these running backs aren't getting more consideration. It feels like the MVP has just turned into the best quarterback of the in the league because that's basically what's what's happening. And um, I honestly, I would vote Alvin Kamara one and Dalvin Cook two in my MVP voting this if I had to vote right now. Um, Patrick Mahomes would be three, I think. But I... I think uh, Dalvin Cook is, is going to have a big game in this one. The only thing I'm, I'm wary about is Chicago. So we talked about third down conversion rates. Chicago is actually number one. Their defense is number one in third down conversion rates. So the defense for Chicago is what they're going to lean on. So if you think Chicago is going to win this game, if you're a Chicago fan, take the under and take Chicago because they're, if Chicago wins this game, it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be both teams scoring no more than like 21 points, less than 21 yeah. points. So it, it, that's the only chance Chicago has to keep Kirk Cousins confused on offense because he's not a good primetime quarterback and uh, keeping Dalvin Cook contained on third down because they're, like I said, Chicago's third down defense has been really good this year. So that's one thing to note. Um, but you're right. That Chicago offense gives you no reason to believe that they could score enough points to keep up with Minnesota this week. All right. That's going to do it for our docket here of yeah week 10 matchups. And um, let's run through our best bets really quick. So I like, I like Cleveland minus three to up to minus four, possibly. Um, I like, we both like Carolina plus five and a half to plus six, maybe. Um, you like Arizona minus two. We, I think we both like Miami minus two and a half. Uh, and we both like the Rams to minus one and a half up to minus two, possibly. And we both like the Baltimore Ravens at minus seven. And we, we both like the Minnesota Vikings at plus two and a half or minus two and a half. Okay. So let's talk about a little bit of DFS here. Um, you have some lineups here. Run, run me through. What are your, what are your guys? What, who are you starting at quarterback this week in your DFS lineup? Yeah, so this week I had trouble picking one lineup, so I made three different ones because yeah, it's confused. You have like you, you have three lineups here in the notes. Yeah, so my my favorite lineup <laughs> right now is the the Kyler Murray lineup. Um, I, he's been the best player in football, and if you don't have him in your lineup, I feel like you're missing something. Um, especially with Dalvin Cook not being on the main slate of games, he's on Monday night, so I don't really feel like I need to pay up at running back this week. So I'm going with Kyler Murray as my quarterback. My next move at running back is Miles Sanders. I love him coming back against the Giants. He's only 6,400. Antonio Gibson gets Detroit. He's 5,600. So he's my second running back. He's a guy who in good game scripts gets a lot of touches. We saw him do amazingly well against the Cowboys. I think this is a game where Washington stays competitive. I don't see Detroit running away from it. And so I don't think they move to J.D. McKissick there. Um, And then my stack with Kyler, I'm getting DeAndre Hopkins. Um, You can't go wrong 
along with those two, they, they might be the best connection in football outside of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams this year. Um, then my third player is, uh, or my second wide receiver is Brandon Cooks. I like Brandon Cooks um, in uh, playing for Houston this week. He's been a top 20 guy and he's been someone who came into the year after last year, not playing well. He's been kind of a fade. His um, percentages being used in DFS isn't very high. So he's a guy I think could be a differentiator for your roster. Uh, another guy I like is Sterling Shepard. Um, Sterling Shepard is the, clearly the number one target on the New York Giants, but he's not being valued as such in DraftKings yet. I think he's only coming in at 5,000. So I love him in uh, my third wide receiver slot. Coming back this week off of injury from my tight end slot, I have Austin Hooper. I think Hooper is in a great position to play well for the Browns this week. Uh, this is another week where the Browns are going to be competitive. We like the Browns to win this game. Uh, Baker Mayfield loves his tight ends. With no Odell there, I think Hooper sees a lot of action. And then in my flex, I have Duke Johnson. We know David Johnson's going to be out, so Duke Johnson's a really cheap option to get a starting running back into your roster that could see 15 to 20 touches. And then last and not least, I have the Giants defense. We talked about how they've been frisky this year they play the philadelphia eagles carson once has tendencies um to make uh turnovers interceptions and the offensive line for philadelphia is not good either yeah so the giants can get a couple of sacks and maybe a fumble recovery or or a touchdown uh so i like the giants as my option in defense so it's a good line is my submitted roster how about you yes. and who are you going for this week so in my DFS lineup this week, I got Lamar Jackson against New England at 7,100. I love his chances for a big game against the Pats. They can't stop anyone right now. Give me Aaron Jones against the Jaguars. This is going to be a bad weather game again in Green Bay. Aaron Jones is going to run the ball a lot. I like him. His, his chances to find the end zone in this one. I like Antonio, uh, Antonio Gibson for the Washington football team. I almost said Redskins. Washington football team against Detroit. At 5,600, I like that value a lot. Antonio Gibson's looked really good this year. I, I like his chances of finishing the season strong, especially after uh, Kyle Allen went down. They're going to lean heavily probably on that run game. So give me some Antonio Gibson this week. Also, Stefan Diggs against the Arizona Cardinals in my wide receiver one spot. I like him for a big game this week at 7,500. The Cardinals defense has been pretty freaking bad this year. The past defense has been awful. And um, I like Buffalo. I, I think this Buffalo-Arizona game is going to be high scoring. So give me some Stefan Diggs. I like his chances to find the end zone in this one. In uh, my wide receiver two spot, I got Robert Woods for the LA Rams. Always good to pick a receiver facing the Seattle pass defense. So I love Robert Woods in this one. Um, pretty equally valued for me between Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Really, there's a coin toss about who finds more touchdowns. If I think, honestly, both of them could find touchdowns in this one. Um, so uh, it's just a coin flip between who you like more. And Robert Woods was priced out lower for me. So I went with Woods. I like his chances also to catch more passes because he's more of a possessive receiver. And then I went with my wide receiver three spot. I had to find a bargain here. I went with Jacoby Myers for the New England Patriots. This is a volume play for me. He's, he's I think he had like 14 targets two weeks ago. And I don't know, 14 targets like last week and like 10 targets the week before. He's Camp Newton's number one guy right now. And so Baltimore, like I said, is I think going to blow out New England. That's going to mean that's, that means New England's going to have to throw the ball. So New England's going to have to throw the ball to Jacoby Myers a lot in this one. At 4,500, I thought I could, I could, uh, I could, I could have done worse with my wide receiver three spot at 4,500. Tight end, I also have Austin Hooper coming back off the, uh, the, uh, the appendectomy surgery. Um, priced out at just 3,900, a really good bargain 
look here. Uh, Houston's defense has nothing to be worried about. It's better to talk about how terrible they are. Cleveland should be able to throw the ball here. Um, I like Hooper's chances to find the end zone in this one. So um, give me some Austin Hooper. And then in my flex, um, I got Leonard Fournette against the Carolina Panthers. I like Leonard Fournette's chances to catch a decent amount of passes this week. I also think Leonard Fournette's the better runner. Um, Tampa Bay has not been able to run the ball very well. And I know Ronald Jones is a good player, um, but I, I feel like Fournette's going to start separating himself as the better talent in that Tampa Bay backfield. Honestly, I just feel like he's a better player than Ronald Jones. And I think um, Fournette's going to start getting more touches, getting more trust from Tom Brady um, at 5,500. I think I, he has a good chance to uh, find the end zone in this one. I think uh, this is going to be a reasonably high scoring game. So give me some Leonard Fournette against the Panthers. And then in my defense, I didn't leave myself a lot of money with this one, but I did actually kind of like this play. I, I'm going with the Rams against the Seattle Seahawks. And so, don't get me wrong. I would I would almost never recommend picking a defense against a Seattle Seahawks offense. And so my reason here is, look, Russell Wilson's looked mortal the last couple of weeks. We already talked about it. A couple, a few interceptions, a couple fumbles. They're not going to be able to run the ball. They don't have. Uh, I think Chris Carson. It, it, he might play, but he's still very banged up. I don't think Carlos Carlos Hyde's playing. DJ Dallas has been adequate. Um, Travis Homer's been uh, all right. Like they're not going to be able to run the ball against the Rams. And so the. Russell Wilson's going to have to use a lot with his legs because they're going to get to, they're going to rush the passer well, and he's going to have to get flushed out of the pocket. And I, I like the chances for at least an interception or two, maybe a fumble or two as well, maybe even a defensive touchdown. So I think the Rams here, I'm looking for a big play. That's what, that's my, that's my thought here at just 2,200. I think they're the third lowest price team um, defense this week. I thought that the, the upside was worth um, the bargain. So uh, obviously never rec- uh, the Seattle offense could put up 50 points almost in any, any given matchup. So it's, it's not completely recommended to play the Rams, but defense against Seattle, but look, there's a chance that they, they, uh, they keep Seattle at bay in this one. And there's a chance that they get some turnovers. So at just 2,200, I was willing to take that risk. Yeah, I think you see similarities in our lineups where there are certain games we're targeting. So you're on the Bills side of the ball with Stefan Diggs. I'm on I'm on the Cardinals. That game has a really high over under. Another game that we like uh, is the the Rams and the Seahawks. We think both of those offenses could have a decent game. You're hoping for on terms of the Rams some sacks maybe of Russell and a turnover mm-hmm. because of the talent. Um, so that's why you're t- going there on the defense. And sometimes you just have to take a shot if you want to get a, another guy in your roster. But mm-hmm. some of my favorite values this week we just talked about the rams i like jared goff going against the seahawks he's only 6500 uh herbert 6600 and he's just been on fire so you know you have herbert you can stack him with keenan allen that's always a great play um Tua is kind of my long shot at quarterback. He, he's 5,600. So he's a guy who they haven't really priced up yet, um, but we know the talent that sits there. So if you wanted to do like a Tua Devante Parker stack to kind of get off of the mainstream, I wouldn't play that in a cash, but maybe if you're doing a long shot in a tournament for a duo that could end up performing well with Preston Williams out. Tom Brady for a bounce back game is 6,300. Carson Wentz is 5,900. And then Drew Locke is 5,500. Drew Locke can get it done on the ground a little bit. He's been showing some flashes through the air. Uh, last week, I think he put up 29 fantasy points. Yeah, so. I like that. We uh, mentioned last week that Locke was a decent uh, value last week at just 5,500. Yeah. Um, he, he could have another good fantasy day. Um, so 5,500, that's not a, bad, not a bad tip. Are there any other quarterbacks, Ben, that you like this week? Look, I would have recommended Ben Roethlisberger had he not had such a difficult week with COVID. Um, still uncertain. I think he's supposed to get pulled off the COVID list today as long as he tests negative but that's the only worry i have with him i mean 
I like the matchup against Cincinnati. Um, it makes a lot of sense that Pittsburgh could score a lot of points in this one because Cincinnati is going to probably score a lot of points. Um, oh, maybe. I mean, Pittsburgh's defense is pretty good, but I don't know. I I, I like the I like the plays you have. Um, I think. I think the the best bargains are, are what you're looking at here with with Tua and, and Drew Locke. I think those are decent ones. Um, I would not recommend Derek Carr um, against Denver's defense. I think Denver's defense is pretty good, so um, I wouldn't really go much lower than that. So I, I like it. I, I think those two are, are, are the best bargains for running back. Who do you have for um, any bargains there? Running back is easy this week. There are a lot of guys priced out below um, where they would normally be as a starting running back because of the starting option being injured and getting ruled out later into the week. So we have Duke Johnson at only 5,000 going against Cleveland. Cleveland's not a great run D. So Duke Johnson could uh, have a decent game there. Mike Davis is only four grand. He's going against Tampa Bay, which is difficult, but Mike Davis is pretty active in the passing game and DraftKings is PPR. So he's not a bad option at only 4,000. We expect him to at least get his values worth um, from there. And then Gio Bernard playing in place of Joe Mixon. He's been good as a fill-in touchdown in both of those games. He can catch passes. Uh, And then Antonio Gibson, a guy we both had in our lineups. He's only 5,600. He's the starting running back and going against Detroit. Not much else you need to say there. Sanders coming back off injury is 6,400. So I like him as a a three-down back uh, under 7K. One One guy I like is McKissick. I like Washington, uh, J.D. McKissick. I think he could actually be, be a decent value at just 4,900. Yeah, J.D. McKissick had like double-digit targets last week. So yeah. if that game does get play, get going in a way where Stafford and Hawkinson connect for a couple early touchdowns, they bring J.D. McKissick in and they need to play from behind. I could see McKissick having having a decent game. I probably wouldn't play him in cash, but maybe, maybe in a tournament as a guy who has some upside if he catches a lot of passes. And then um, the, other, the other guy, on the other side of the ball in that Green Bay game is James Robinson. So a game where there's really bad weather and we think that there's going to be a lot of groundwork. James Robinson yeah. is only 6,600 and he's a top five running back on the season. Yeah, I like James Robinson a lot too. All right, let's uh, look at some wide receivers. Do you have any values there? So the, the values here uh, were a little bit more difficult. A couple of the guys I had in my lineup. So yeah, it's a tough Sterling one this week, Jeff I thought. 5K, Brandon Cook's 5, 5.6K. Uh, T Higgins is only 5,500. It's tough matchup against the Steelers, but he's been just rock solid all year. And and you can kind of expect double digit targets from almost all three of those Cincinnati Bengals receivers. But if I had to pick two of them, I'm leaning more towards Boyd and Higgins. And then I'm on Higgins because of the value Boyd's a bit more expensive. And then Cooper cup and woods, you can't go wrong starting receivers against Seattle. Tyler Lockett's only 6,500. So I like his value after a couple cold games. I think Jalen Ramsey and Matt Caff are going to match up and that leaves Lockett open uh, for some upside value. And then my long shot is David Moore. He's under 4K. He's 3,400. And he's had two straight games with a touchdown for the Seahawks. And it, in a game where that's uh, in in a divisional game where weird things happen, usually uh, an off-brand name guy scores. I think it might be David Moore this week. Yeah, give me in a similar fashion. Give me Josh Reynolds as my dart throw, thirty-five hundred as well. I think uh, the Seattle, the LA Rams receiver Josh Reynolds, he's their third guy usually um, in, th- in three three wide receiver sets. Um, I think Reynolds has a chance for a touchdown for the same reasons that you said for David Moore. Um, I think he's actually caught a touchdown or two the last couple of weeks as well. So a similar fashion with that. And then also a couple of guys that I 
wanted to highlight for wide receivers. Um, the Eagles have a, a plethora of receivers coming back this week. And so if you want to take a chance on one of them, there's an opportunity for maybe a touchdown between Jalen Rager, Alshon Jeffrey, and Greg Ward. I don't know how you could decide between all of them because all of them kind of seem in the same same vein as me. They're all similarly talented. I think Jalen Rager is the most talented out of the bunch. So I, if anything, I would pick him if you're willing to spend the money. He's at 4,200 on the week. And then I also kind of, uh, I'm considering Richie James for the San Francisco 49ers coming off the huge game last week. You have to look at that. I mean, he had nine catches, 100, 184 yards and a touchdown um, last week for the San Francisco 49ers. No Debo Samuel this week for the Niners. Again, officially declared out for the week. I think Richie James could be a guy that has a decent game against the New Orleans Saints uh, for the 49ers this week. Yeah, I think that's a good option. And one thing I want to say about my lineup, I have the Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins stack. If you can't fit Hopkins into your lineup, I don't hate going for Christian Kirk either as a really high upside guy. He He's very capable of catching the long ball. We know the Bills are susceptible to that. And he's he's just been a touchdown hound the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that too. I like Christian Kirk. All right, tight ends. Um, honestly, I wanted at tight end, I, I wanted to pick Waller because I think Waller's easily the best tight end this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, uh, for the season, Kelsey not playing yeah, this week. So, Waller, yeah. yeah. So I, I had to find a better bargain. So that's why I went with Austin Hooper. I think he has an opportunity for a touchdown. Um, but really, there's a lot of just bad tight ends this year. Um, really, the only options maybe Waller, Hawkinson, maybe Fant. Um, I don't really love anybody else, honestly. Maybe Evan Ingram. I don't know. I like Dallas Goder at only 4,200. So you mentioned some of the Eagles players coming back healthy. The fact that Zach Ertz is out and we know Carson Wentz propensity to throw to the tight end. So Goddard's uh, a really good player and he he's had flashes in the past. So we're another week removed from his injury. I think he could have a good game. He's only 4,200. So I like his value, but yeah, you mentioned the other guys, Fant, Ingram and Hooper are kind of the ones I see value. If you're not willing to spend up for Waller or Hawkinson. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up there with uh, DFS. I think we have some good picks here. Uh, in, in the end, you went with Murray, Miles Sanders, Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Hopkins, Brandon Cooks, Sterling Shepard, Austin Hooper, Duke Johnson, and the Giants defense. I went with Lamar Jackson, Aaron Jones, Antonio Gibson, Stephon Diggs, Robert Woods, Jacoby Myers, Austin Hooper, Leonard Fournette, and the Rams defense. All right, let's um let's wrap it up there with DFS. I, I before we say uh say goodbye on the, to the episode forty seven of Vicious Talk podcast here. Let's uh talk about a little bit Mandalorian because we, we and I have been watching a lot of the the new Mandalorian season, uh, Star Wars series on Disney Plus, and uh, we've really enjoyed it. And we wanted to t- talk a little bit about it. If you haven't seen uh, any of the newest episodes, if you're not caught up on the Mandalorian, uh, spoiler alert, I would recommend uh, kind of tuning out for the podcast here and uh, joining us again next week. But Connor, let's watch the episodes. Yeah. After you watch these episodes, come back and, and join us because look, this, this show has been awesome. Like it really just like this, uh, it brings back the, uh, the joy of a weekly TV show to look forward to for me because it comes out every Friday and I know back in the day we were growing up and I don't know about you, but when I would watch TV and I, I would anticipate an episode coming out on a specific day of the week. And so like some of my favorite show came out on Mondays. So I would be on Mondays. I would like spend all day, like excited to watch my favorite TV show at that night. And so this is kind of what the case has been for me with the Mandalorian, man. It, it, it's just been great episode after great episode. It's, it's the episode of the week really. Cause 
it, they're it's it, they're doing a balance between having the overall story arc kind of keeping it moving forward, but also doing like individual episodes with storylines that are specific to one episode and um, different, different, I don't know, um, hurdles that Mando has had to overcome in one specific episode um, that that they don't really go back to. And so there's a lot of things that are skipped over because of the fact that they're moving so quickly through some of this stuff, but really the details that they give us and and the uh the world that they've created for us in, in the mandalorian is just so i don't know it's it's taking over as one of my favorite shows if not my favorite show right now um the mandalorian has just been so great but what do you think of the the newest episode the um directed by uh bryce dallas howard the uh the harris yeah I, i've really enjoyed having a, another show where it's coming out on a weekly basis the last time we kind of had that um with widespread anticipation was game of thrones for me and it's it's similar fashion where you have this huge epic story and it's a gigantic world that you're traveling around and you're following different storylines um this is obviously more central to mando and and baby yoda and, and returning him to the jedi but I really love the new season. So we started off season uh, season two, episode one, and you had the huge crate dragon and you united the sand people with the townspeople. You thought he might be meeting uh, another Mandalorian in the first episode. It was like, no, it turned out to be just some guy, but they killed this gigantic dragon. And then um, episode two, he's, he's returning this frog with the fishes to the island. And in episode three, they, they show them landing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, they're coming in so hot. He's got the damaged ship and it's bright red flashing. And and they're they're calling him the, the controllers calling him over the line like, hey, you got to slow down. You got to slow down. You're going to crash. And everybody's watching in, in the in the in the dock area. And then he hits the boosters and it's like, all right, he saved it. He's, he's about to land. He's like 10 feet above the pad. And then all of a sudden you hear like a, a boom and the ship turns sideways and just sinks into the ocean, dude. It was just such a ride for, the engine, for an entrance. Like the emotion, you're like, oh my God, they're going to crash and die. Then you're like, okay, they're going to land safely. And then to have them just like yeah. fall to the bottom look, of the ocean. Is I got Look, I got awesome. a, I got a question. Mando's parenting skills. I mean, how many times does he have to put little baby Yoda in danger? How how many times has the little baby Yoda been put it put life's been put in danger across it's just a second season? Oh yeah. my god, baby Yoda, his his life has been in peril numerous times this this season. Just in this episode, he gets he he like you said the the ship falls underwater and then he gets eaten by that monster in the in the ship. Um, I can't remember the name of the monster was, but the uh, I don't know just. <laughs> I want I want Baby Yoda to be safe. That's all I want. I just a, want... a manticore or manacore or something. Yeah, like sounds that. right. Man... Lo- all the the fish people locked uh, Mando below below the yeah. surface, and the other Mandalorians had to come save him. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just fantastic. I mean, really, really neat how they're really capturing the audience that really isn't familiar with too much with the Star Wars universe, but also keeping in mind a lot of the overall Star Wars arcs and like the major storylines that aren't actually spoken of in the Mandalorian show itself. Like in this episode specifically, Bo-Katan asks when they, uh, when they capture the ship, that's uh, the Empire's ship that they uh, are trying to hijack the weapons from, Bo-Katan gets to the, uh, the captain of the ship and inquires about the Dark Saber and a lot of Star Wars fans don't really know, or a lot of people that don't follow Star Wars seriously don't really know what the Darksaber is. And it's basically this 
lightsaber that looks like a made like a big sword it's like a big machete and um what's his face uh gideon has has the dark saber the guy from uh it's a uh, gus gustavo fring from breaking bad the guy in season one he uh that dark saber when he cuts out of the the empire fighter at the end of the season one that's the dark saber he has and so that dark saber actually used to be a mandalorian lightsaber it was actually owned by the mandalorians and it was stolen by the jedis and or i can't remember what it was it's all it's all depicted in um rogue or the um star wars animated series the um what's it called the uh clone wars, clone wars. it's all depicted in that and um I thought that was interesting, like how they, they just keep these small details for the Star Wars enthusiasts, but they're also just keeping the show super entertaining, super fun to watch. The, the moments of levity, like when they fall into the ship and then he's talking to the dude, uh, can you fix it? Oh, I'll make you fly. And like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of funny. Like, and he looks at him like, you're crazy for trying to drive this ship. And and then at the end, he's like, I gave you a thousand credits and this is all you could do. Like, I thought, that, dude, the moments of levity are awesome in this. And then the moments of seriousness are just like super intense and and sometimes at some point it's like a horror film like in the first season one episode when they're uh the prisoner when they're breaking out the guy from the rebel yeah it was like an alliance it was an alliance prison and um they broke the guy out of out of the out of the uh cell and then mando gets basically tried they try to dupe him and keep him in, and lock him in the prison and keep him there while they break out the other guy and mando ends up like locking them all up and, and that was like a horror film when he's like hunting them all down in the prison you know and then bill burr's in there and he's like and the, and the lights go out the black and then he gets he sneaks up behind him and he's like no you know it's just like there's just so many notes that this show is hitting and i've really enjoyed uh just kind of tuning in every week and, and looking forward to it. So I'm glad that we were able to talk about it just because I think if you're not watching the Mandalorian, you really should. Yeah. And outside of all the typical star Wars action and lightsabers and shooting, which is extremely fun and to witness in space on a large screen TV is a great time. You also have the character development of Mando and the fact Certainly. that he, he's a very closed off person. And we see other Mandalorians now in this episode, they, they do take their helmet off and we learn a little bit more about his history and, and that he came from a, a sect of the Mandalorians that kind yes. of broke off and they follow a much more traditional code. And so he only knows that is the way of life for him and those Mandalorians, but the group with Bo-Katan, yeah. you know, Oh, you know, this is, isn't how we act you can take your helmet yeah. off so i think they might be foreshadowing that we might actually yes learn exactly what Mando looks like in the future yeah well we saw we saw him in the season one finale it's pedro pascal and we haven't seen him since and right. i think you're right I, I thought that was a great point because they uh if you remember back to the original star wars series uh boba boba um Boba Fett. John I was gonna say Fett. Boba Fett. I was gonna say, um, uh, yeah, I was gonna say Boba Shet from the Blue Jays, the <laughs> baseball player. <laughs> but yeah, Jabba Fett. The uh, the they um, he takes his helmet off in that in the original Star Wars series, and um, like you see him and you see his son and like you see, he's part he's the clone. That's why they call him the. That's why it's called the Clone Wars. Like they're cloning they're cloning um, the Fett, but or what is it? Bo. Boba Fett and Jabba Fett. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Sorry, Dude, the the pronunciation of Star Wars names is not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
or Marlins general managers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, I don't know. I think we're going to see a decent amount of Pedro Pascal's face. I think at some point in this series, I think honestly, how, how many seasons well-known actor. So I don't yeah. think you have him play this character unless you expect on the second half of the series, maybe in season three or season four to have him be more of a central focus in terms of his actual personality. Yeah. And, and there's even not just being the, the action. Yeah, there's even uh, a decent amount of discussion about whether or not he's actually the one in the suit at, at, at a good amount of the time. Like, apparently, the stunt the stunt double is uh, the one that's doing a lot of the the work in in the Mandalorian suit. Um, that makes while, sense. Yeah. While Pedro Pascal is doing a lot of the doing all the voice, but obviously, but I mean, they're flying on jet rockets and doing karate and crazy stuff. So <laughs> I'm not gonna put that on Pascal, man. <sighs> all right, I, I did the Mandalorian. You gotta watch it, dude. It's just that it's just a great show. It's a great now show. Streaming on disney's plus not a sponsor <laughs> just something we like all right buddy dude what a podcast two hours we're, we're running on and uh looking forward to doing this every week with you buddy and really enjoyed it i think we have some great picks I, i'm looking forward to winning some money and some of our, our gambling handicapping this week i think we made some good um hand, we made some good um, evaluations on these teams and the weekly matchups. I think we had some good DFS recommendations. Uh, what notes didn't we hit, Connor? Are we, are we ready, are ready to wrap it up? I think we hit everything, man. We got you covered at all things analysis, man. We we covered all things here. I like it, dude. All right, buddy. Thanks again for joining me for the podcast. Episode 47 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Don't forget to follow all things analysis on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, send us an email at allthingsanalysis.com. Subscribe on our website. Also follow Vicious Talk on all of the uh, podcast platforms you listen to your podcast on. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, you name it. Um, also, um, be sure to listen to Connor and I continuously doing our weekly NFL picks and our uh, DFS recommendations. We've been doing a great job in helping our listeners on uh, succeeding in those areas as well. All right, Connor. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. Thanks, Benny.